does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. The most unassuming, nondescript in terms of uh, emotions after the fact, like he was clocking out of the factory, yet a guy that has become easily one of not just the best players in the NBA, but because of his team's run this year in the NBA Finals and NBA Playoffs, perhaps one of the favorite players in the NBA, a guy who cemented that by how he acted after he won last night. Of course, the voice of Mike Breen, the first voice you heard, Nikola Jokic, the finals MVP. The next voice you heard, the following voice you hear is me, Greg Rakestraw, playing the role of substitute teacher. Again, I have signed a once-per-week contract. Really haven't signed a contract at all. It's not even a handshake deal, just kind of a text message. Here on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. As is always the case, Jimmy Cook is on the ones and twos, and he'll be chiming in whenever he darn well pleases on the program. The NBA season is now in the past tense, although there is not a a sport other or season that's kind of like or a sport that has the calendar like the NBA does where you flip the script to next year in such a quick fashion. So literally now we will hit fast forward on all things NBA draft, obviously because the Pacers have brought in, well, seemingly like half the college students in the Western Hemisphere to work out at this point. There are 58 picks in the NBA draft. The Pacers have a large chunk of them. They have five. They have brought in 60 different players to work out at this point in time. We'll talk about that with Scott Agnes coming up at 2 o'clock. We'll get his thoughts on the NBA Finals as well. But yes, NBA Finals end in game number five. NBA Draft is now nine days away. And then after that, NBA Free Agency, uh, the the legal tampering period is like nine days away. The signing period is like a week after that. Then we get into Summer League like two weeks after that. I kind of like it. Strike while the iron is hot. NFL does it a little bit like that. Or if you think about it, Super Bowl is the second Sunday in February now. Two and a half, three weeks later, Combine is here. Two weeks later, then you've got free agency. Then you kind of have that long ramp back up to talking about the NFL draft. But the NBA season is now in the past tense. And we'll talk about the Pacers' point of view on that coming up in a matter of moments. But as I am watching the tail end of last night's game, several things struck me knowing, again, the prism of being a talk show host. I was going to be sitting in this chair and yapping with you for the next three hours. And one of the things is what Mike Breen just said in terms of 47 years. Maybe I'm a bit more of a visual learner. I do think I'm a good listener. But still, the point was drilled home to me when I was kind of flipping around after the game last night and Scott Van Pelt pops on and there is a graphic in terms of basically longest amount of time it took a team to win a championship. Denver Nuggets pop up at 47. And I go, well, they haven't do much research. That's the same amount of years the Indiana Pacers have been playing as well since those two, along with the Spurs and then uh, was the New York Nets, the New Jersey Nets, now the Brooklyn Nets, 
uh, have all been playing a same amount of time because they all made the jump together in 1976 from what was left of the ABA. The other two teams in that graphic, by the way, the Cavaliers took them 46 years to win their lone championship, and the Detroit Pistons took them 41 years because, again, I know that uh, a good chunk of you, this is not going to be news, but to a few people that I say this to, this will literally be the first time you have heard this. The Detroit Pistons used to be the Fort Wayne Zellner Pistons. And they won a title in 88. They started playing in 1947. It took them 41 years to win a championship. So then immediately I started going, okay, where are the Pacers in terms of the list of longest-running NBA franchises who have yet to win a championship? Pacers, I believe, are tied for third. That the longest-standing – I guess actually they're tied for fourth. My apologies. The longest-standing franchise that has not won, and James, as always, be my fact-checker here for me, please. The Phoenix Suns were started in 1969. They have reached the finals in 76. That was the great triple overtime game. Um, I forget which one of the Van Arsdale brothers was playing for the for the Suns back in the time, um, but they played the Celtics in 76, lost the Bulls in 93, and then lost the Bucks two years ago. The Suns are the oldest NBA franchise that has yet to win an NBA championship as they've been playing now for 54 years. The Los Angeles Clippers would be next. They began as the Buffalo Braves. They became the San Diego Clippers. In 84, they became the Los Angeles Clippers. They have largely been a woebegone franchise. Obviously now, Steve Ballmer's money, they're much more competitive. They have yet to truly make a dent in terms of they've never even made an NBA Finals at this point. But the Clippers have been around for 52 years. They have not won an NBA championship. Next would be the Utah Jazz. Of course, began life as the New Orleans Jazz. Was it 73 or 74, Jimmy, that they first graced the NBA scene? 75. 75. So it was neither of those two. They're approaching their, I think I, I, I think that makes this upcoming, their 49th NBA season or their 50th NBA season. Clearly, they have made the NBA Finals back-to-back years in Utah, uh, but they are they are yet to become an NBA champion. Then it's the Indiana Pacers. It's the Indiana Pacers and the now Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, the Nets made the NBA Finals in the Jason Kidd, Kenyon Martin, early 2000s, what, 2002, and again, <coughs> 03 or 04, but have yet to win an NBA championship. Put the big three together in Brooklyn. It didn't work out. And now trying to pick up the pieces as to what's left after Kevin Durant, James Harden, etc. It seems like a championship is far off. There was a string of uh, kind of tweets going around this week, too, about the 23 anniversary of the first NBA Finals game ever played at then Conseco Fieldhouse, now Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and obviously it's been a while since that's been the case as well. And I'm not saying that to, to, to feel down or woebegone about the Pacers because I generally like the direction in which they're heading. You know, I, th- they are clearly making progress. We were all excited about how they'd played this past year, and now you think you're a piece or two away from potentially having something special. I'm not sure how close to an NBA finalist we have, but again, the Denver Nuggets do offer a bit of a blueprint. 
And obviously the Denver Nuggets very much resemble the Milwaukee Bucks. While that was not their first championship two years ago, it was their first in 50 years. And the Bucks blueprint and the Denver blueprint are virtually identical. Hit on an international player that nobody knows about. Obviously in the Bucks, that was Giannis Antetokounmpo. I want to say he was the 16th pick of the draft. I have this seared into my brain because of all the recent topic of conversation about it in Nikola Jokic. He was the 41st pick when he was drafted, a second round pick, a guy that fittingly giving all the pictures we see of him as like a young kid before he's playing basketball, you know, seems fitting that he was, you know, a Taco Bell commercial was airing when he was drafted. Seems about right. More on Jokic coming up. And because again, it, to, to me, his story is, is, you know, captivating and mesmerizing at the same time in terms of how he plays and just how literally, not that he doesn't care, just what he doesn't care about off the court that I find intriguing, interesting, and refreshing all simultaneously. We'll get more, more of that in a moment. But the Nuggets made, made crafty deals at the right time. But their core... Guys they drafted. Guys they hit on in the draft. So to me, the Milwaukee story of two years ago and the Nugget story of this year should give hope to us as Pacers fans that it can be done. Now, on the Jokic front, again, uh, I I know of how good of a player he is. I will admit to you um, that after I left this station as the program director, on a full-time basis five years ago. That has, to some degree, not all the time, but to some degree kind of coincided with Pacers not being as good or the Pacers not being as interesting. And because it's not been on kind of my daily beat, I wouldn't say I've checked that on the Pacers, but I've checked that on the NBA. And, and I kind of you know pick it back up in, in spurts. And obviously, you're going to watch any sport generally more in the postseason unless you're in the thick of it following a team, covering a team, etc., you're going to watch more in the postseason you're the regular season. So I've I've known how good of a player Nikola Jokic has been for some time. I mean, wasn't like this is the first time we've been, wasn't like he all of a sudden appeared out of nowhere to be the best player in the NBA. or clearly the best player in these NBA playoffs. But I've spent more time watching him play over the course of the last few weeks, last couple of months. And I think those... While he's not the exact same type of player, from a personality standpoint, from how he goes about his business, from the variety of skill sets that he has, again, Jokic, a more modern version of this, but the Tim Duncan comparisons are absolutely spot on in terms of just does everything well. Nothing is flashy. Everything is fundamental. Everything is about being a great teammate. It is never about seeking attention of his own accord. It's about getting the job done. How can I help my team win? Tim Duncan is the absolute comparison. Now, uh, Tim Duncan was out of an era where he would shoot the three like Jokic can. Um, Maybe Tim Duncan didn't have the same passing numbers as Jokic because, frankly, there are now more assists to be had because typically there are more jump shots taken. There's more points being scored. Wasn't the case in last night's game. Wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing game you've ever seen. But again, the Jokic-Tim Duncan comparison is absolutely the way to go. And in an era 
And again, I'm, I, when you're not the first show out of the gate, it's going to sound like you're kind of repeating some things. So I guarantee you there are things that I am saying that probably were said by, by Jake and Kevin between 7A and 10A. I'm sure there are things that I am saying, if you happen to listen to the Dan Patrick show on a different radio station, that tends to be a big part of my morning or it's when I'm up and around the cars listening to him. I guarantee you there are things without thinking about it, I'm kind of parroting off of what he had to say. But I, I, am, I am just floored by the fact that there was literally no emotional reaction after winning the game. And I don't mean that as a criticism, uh, but but everything was about, I'm going to shake every player's hand from the Miami Heat. I'm going to go up to guys that, that, you know, they even get in the game. Hey, congratulations on a great season. Hey, congratulations on a great series. They, you know, there, there wasn't, there wasn't the, the stand-on-the-table moment, and I don't fault guys for doing that. There, this, this wasn't going into the crowd to celebrate other than his family coming to him. But, but it's almost like, like this is my shift at the factory. It's a very well-paid shift at the factory. Uh, Jokic made $33 million this year. He is going to make $46.5 million next year. So it's a very high-end factory he works at. He's like, okay, we won. That's great. Good. Can I go home now? Sir, the parade's not till Thursday. Damn it. Can I go home Thursday night? Sure, if you want to, go right ahead. And because that is so atypical of how things are done now and so different, maybe it's my like middle-age crisis kicking in. I'm a big fan of different these days. So, stuff, and it, it's part of the reason why I tell people, it's why I do play-by-play for a living. There is something different that happens at virtually every game. A lot of things are the same. Something different usually happens. Well, it's part of the reason why I'm intrigued by this story. A different background, a different type of player. But again, it's it's not that he doesn't care. Clearly he cares. Okay. He cares about his team. He doesn't care about, you know, individual honors. But literally, like the overarching theme that you heard from him last night was, can I go home now? Can I go back to Serbia now? Can I go because again, wife, lovely daughter, brothers, etc. They're great. And hearing those that that cover him on a daily basis go, yeah, you hear a lot more from the Jokic family than you actually from Nikola Jokic himself. But again, that was that was amazing to me to see how even keel he was after what is clearly the high point of your professional career. Now, maybe there's more championships in the bag for them, and I'm going to walk you through kind of the salary numbers that tell you, yeah, there could be. You know, we that's it's seemingly the first question. Anytime a team breaks through, the first question is, all right, how many more can you win? And the answer is, you don't know. But man, they seem to be set, don't they? Because Jokic is signed up through 2027, and Murray is signed up through 2025. And Michael Porter is kind of the wild card of that group, is signed up through 2027. And Aaron Gordon is signed up through 2025 with a player option for 26. And Contavious Caldwell-Pope, now a two-time NBA champion, by the way, he signed up through next year, and he's got a player option for 25. Bruce Brown had a couple of huge putback buckets late last night. Uh, he has an option for next year, and he's young enough where he may be the guy that says, hey, I, I, I've got to go get mine. i got to go get paid because – and he's making $6.5 million, he gets the open market. He's going to get a lot more than that. So if he's not back, you don't blame him. 
After that, you've got veterans, and I'll get to more of the story of Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, etc. But you will easily find veterans to take less money to play on a one-year deal to go get a ring as guys have been playing for a combined 31 years in the league just did last night in Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan. You've got Kristen Braun that's on a long-term deal, and they will need to go out and get a little more depth in the offseason, but it won't be hard to recruit if you're the Nuggets. A superstar that will find you the ball at all costs. A guy that just brought home a first championship for the Denver Nuggets. Won't be hard to find guys that want to kind of take a supporting role to go get that ring. So, some other things that I will point out here. Uh, Thomas Bryant was part of an NBA championship last night. Now, Thomas, um, I'll, I'll pull up stats, so to speak, but he gets a ring. And Jimmy Cook and I went through this exercise off the air, but I will do it again here because I would have thought this number was higher. And it shows you, even in a program that is as historically good as Indiana University basketball, it is not an automatic that that translates to the ultimate success in the NBA. Thomas Bryant becomes the eighth different former Indiana Hoosier to win an NBA championship. Now, a couple of these guys, I'm not going to pretend that I have any working knowledge of them. Herm Schaefer in 1950, Dick Farley in 1955. I'm sure somebody listening out there could say, well, Dick Farley did this back. Great. We get to the 70s, and you get to at least the guys that even though I didn't see them play, I literally know both of these gentlemen. John McLaughlin, pride of Franklin, Indiana, part of the Milwaukee Bucks team that won with Oscar and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1971, played his basketball at Indiana University in the Hurrying Hoosiers days. John went on to a lengthy career as a broadcaster for the Milwaukee Bucks, had the pleasure of doing the radio the night at Franklin High School. This would be about 21, 22 years ago, where they were honoring John. He had a break in the schedule, had a chance to come home, so I actually interviewed him. The next guy... Well, I've worked with him about the last five or six years. Steve Downing, current athletic director at Marion University. I know of Steve's great career at Washington High School. I knew of Steve's great career at Indiana University. I didn't know he got a cup of coffee in the NBA. Technically played for two seasons. It's part of the 1974 Boston Celtics NBA championship team. He owns a ring. Quinn Buckner, I remember him winning with the Boston Celtics. My first NBA Finals I have a memory of is like 82, uh, would be uh, Lakers and Sixers. I remember Quinn being on those mid-80s Celtics teams. I know Quinn got time with the Bucs and the Pacers, amongst others, in his, I want to say about 10-ish year NBA career. Obviously, we know what Quinn's been doing for the last 30 years. One of the best broadcasters in the NBA and now a legacy part of the television crew for the Indiana Pacers. But Quinn's an NBA champion. Then the obvious one, Isaiah Thomas, 89-90 Detroit Pistons. Since that time, two Indiana Hoosiers have won NBA championships. OG Ananobi, 2019 Toronto Raptors, and Thomas Bryant last night. So, you know, as I'm watching that and, and, and kind of looking at the bench and watching things unfold, you know, DeAndre Jordan... You know, pretty much was there in a ceremonial role 
um, for the Denver Nuggets. Jeff Green had a much more active role. And for whatever reason, I had this in my brain that Jeff Green played on the last year of the Seattle Supersonics. Because we are getting to the point now where there are not many guys that would have played for the Sonics that are still playing in the NBA. It's been 15 years since the Sonics moved from Seattle to Oklahoma City. So since we have not gone through this exercise, one, Jimmy Cook, you want to guess how many of the last edition of the Seattle Sonics are still in the NBA? Two. Okay, you hit the number. Name the other. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Played his rookie year with the Seattle Sonics, moved to Oklahoma City. Jeff Green moved them as well. Now, of note, Adrian Griffin was on that last Sonics team. Just got named as the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Eddie Gill was actually on that last Sonics team as well. Damian Wilkins, that had his final cup of coffee in the NBA with the Indiana Pacers, was part of that team too. But that's it. That's who's left 15 years later. And Jeff Green, the amount of teams he has played for before getting that championship, rather remarkable. So Jeff Green has spent time with the Sonics Thunder. That's one. The Celtics, two. Grizzlies, three. Clippers, four. Magic, five. Cavaliers, six. Wizards, seven. Jazz, eight. Rockets, nine. Nets, 10. Nuggets, 11. Literally has played for one-third of the league. Was the fifth pick in the draft out of Georgetown in 2007. Wins an NBA championship. And DeAndre Jordan, in terms of the teams that he has played for, is not far behind that. Now, DeAndre obviously had a had a great run uh, as kind of the running mate of, of, of Chris Paul uh, with the Los Angeles Clippers. Not as many teams as a Jeff Green, but Clippers, Mavericks, Knicks, Nets, Lakers, Sixers, Nuggets. Seventh different team. And after 15 years, won an NBA championship last night. That's always one of the things that kind of catches my attention in watching scenes like that. But from a Pacers standpoint, two things. One, and and, and this is not just a Pacers thing, but this is kind of more of an NBA-wide thing. Like in 28 other markets, there was probably a, hey, good for Denver. Followed by, we're on the clock. Okay, Next up in terms of an event is the NBA draft. But again, much like the Bucks winning two years ago and the Nuggets winning now, to me, you go, all right, here's your chance as a smaller to mid-market. You have an opportunity if you're the Indiana Pacers. You've got to hit right in the draft. You've got to make the right trades. You've got to make the proper free agent signings. But Denver showed you it could be done. Milwaukee showed you it could be done. 317-239-1070 is the telephone number. You can tweet to me at Greg Rakestraw. You can email the show to Greg at 1070thefan.com. Now, normally... I kind of, you know, start the show when I am in this substitute teacher role of kind of, hey, here's our guest. Now here's our topic. Now I decided to go topic first. 
today. I referenced one of our guests, Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files. Pacers have, I'm sure, more workouts today, and we'll talk about that with Scott when he joins us during the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Other guests slash topics on the show today. Will Haskett, who will be in this very chair tomorrow. Uh, It is U.S. Open week, so obviously Will is usually a guest of ours frequently around the golf majors. Last week, you still have the Live PGA Tour news that we are trying to, you know, glean as much information as possible. I'm sure we'll talk about that, talk about the U.S. Open, talk about Adam Hadwin getting tackled on the green of the Canadian Open on Sunday. Lots of ground to cover with Will. He, in fact, will join us in the next segment of the show. It would not be Tuesday on the fan if Mike Chappell was not on during this time. Last three days of off-season team activity Today, tomorrow, Thursday for Shane Steichen and company. We'll talk to Chappie kind of in between the uh, media availability and the open practice session that takes place later this afternoon. Get his thoughts as to now what in terms of Isaiah Rogers, now what in terms of a potential player move to help at what is. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Already a position probably needed some help in terms of cornerback and uh, just kind of all things Colts. That comes up at 1.30. And um, Charlie Clifford will be on the program. I think you know who that is. Longtime sports anchor at Wish TV. And one of the people that has been part of the rotating cast of stars here on the fan. Well, Charlie exited Wish TV. I don't think I'm speaking out of school saying this. He really was kind of looking to get in the play-by-play ranks. But an opportunity presented itself for Charlie to go work at WLWT in Cincinnati. And Mrs. Clifford, and I forget whether that's officially Mrs. Clifford or that's just like engaged to be Mrs. Clifford. I've forgotten things. I've slept a couple of times in the last few months. Um, is in Cincinnati taking graduate school classes. Couldn't have worked that better for Charlie. And from a story standpoint, and I can speak to this too, having grown up a Reds fan, having briefly been a resident of Harrison, Ohio, at kind of a crossroads point in my career about 22 years ago. And I thought, do I want to cover the Bengals? No. Do I want to cover Bob Huggins and UC? No. The Reds are my favorite team or, or were kind of growing up. But do I see a future in winning a lot? Sadly, we know the answer to that question at, at this point, although, although things are getting better now. So, you know, we could talk about like these golden ages for us to be Colts fans or Pacers fans or sports fans in the city of Indianapolis. Man, you're at a golden age for Cincinnati right now, or what appears to be. You know, if you covered the Reds in the mid-70s, that was a golden age. Bengals were a playoff team back then, too. If you covered the Reds or Bengals late 80s, early 90s, well, you had the wire-to-wire winner, you had the Bengals making the Super Bowl after the 88 season, those are pretty good years. It's been lean since then. But in addition to those two, Cincinnati is going back to major college sports by being in the Big 12. FC Cincinnati, if soccer is your thing, they're in their fifth year in Major League Soccer. They're off to a record start. And they're probably going to host Lionel Messi's debut game in the States. 
in late August. In other words, Charles picked a good time to head down I-74. So we'll try to cover all of those angles with Charlie Clifford coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. You got something you want to say? Now's the time. 317-239-1070. Will Haskett joins us next. It's Greg Rakestraw filling in for, well, no one. It's the rotating cast of characters that are the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Just getting warmed up on this Tuesday. And I serve as the opening act today leading into Will Haskett being in this chair tomorrow. But he is such in demand, he is kind enough to give us about 10 to 15 minutes of his time on this Tuesday afternoon before he has NCAA duty. What do you got coming up later this afternoon? Uh, I am taping the spring recap show. It's a deal that the NCAA has with LG. So it's on any LG smart TV every fall, winter, and spring. It's a full 30-minute highlight show of all of the – um, dot com championships. Very so nice. Just just going through the D three baseball highlights to finish out my script for coming up later on this afternoon. So if you have an LG TV, um, I wish that I was young enough to understand like where all this is. But I'm <laughs> assuming that there's an app or something that's served into these TVs. But yeah, that's where the show the show is. So it's really cool. I mean, you you know, and I know we share the same sort of passion for all of these sports yep. that maybe don't have the attention and in this you know highly commercialized time of sports where i don't disagree with the top athletes in division one football or division one basketball or even i'm assuming we're going to talk about golf um all of these athletes clamoring to get money i understand if the market supports it the market supports it but i really 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 um am disappointed at how much it takes away from the fact that 98 percent of college athletes don't you know aren't making money for their universities and are competing for something that is far pure and the commercialism that we have at the very tippy top of it. So anything I can do to support those and showcase the pure joy of competition um, gives me a little bit of warmth because sports look a little bit different these days than I think when you and I were coming up. Here, here. All right, so with that, uh, pure joy and warmth and a tackle as well. What did you make wow. of the scene at the Canadian Open on uh, Sunday <laughs> evening? It was unbelievable. Uh, I was covering it for PGA Tour Live, so I got to, you know, sort of – I was on featured hold duty this past week, so – you know, the leaders and everybody were coming through as the course of the day was, went on. And then I, like everybody else, just kind of got to sit back and watch the finish as a fan. And it had been 69 years since the Canadian won that open. Uh, I've gotten to know a lot of the Canadians on tour via through college. There was a pipeline over to Kent State, and they were a lot of those guys played there. I've gotten to know Nick Taylor actually pretty well just from some tournaments I've covered and things we've overlapped on in our lives. And so for him to be the one that did it was really special. I, I won't lie. I mean, I was in – I was getting ready to fly out, waiting for a flight, watching the end with a whole bunch of guys that didn't know anything about golf. And all of a sudden that puck goes in and I'm getting teary eyed at a bar in an airport. And they're like, Wait, what's going on? And it meant so much to that country. It meant so much to all those Canadians. There is a true national investment in that sport. It's something we really don't see here in the United States because we're so flush with resources at the grassroots level of a bunch of sports, but a lot of other countries actually invest. And when they find talent, they put them into pipelines and, are spending government money to help these guys. And they have a vision of creating, um, having 30 professionals on both the LPGA and PGA tour by 2030. And it's getting closer and closer. So um, yeah, this is sort of a haphazard answer, but I was, it was so emotionally satisfying. It was an incredible party. And at the end of a week that was sort of disrupted by crazy news, it was great to see the purity of it. And I said this on the air, like Nick Taylor's won $4 million this year on the PGA tour prior to this past weekend. 
and he would have paid four million dollars to have that moment and be a Canadian Open champion. And if that doesn't tell you about the meaning of that sport and what it was and that putt and everything, um, I don't know what to tell you. And, and my colleague, Mark Zacchino, who is also Canadian, he's the lone Canadian on PGA Tour Radio, he was on the call. So if you haven't seen the call, it's really good. Tour's Twitter site and everything like that, they've, they've put it on top of the video. And Mark is absolutely just living the dream. So for all my Canadian friends up north, like this has been just an amazing 72 hours. We raise a Molson uh, in your general direction. All right. So, I'm a Labatt's guy. I'm a Labatt's. I go Labatt's. You for, can't go wrong. Anything with a maple yeah. leaf on it. You're in, I, I went through a Canadian beer phase in college. I Much like <laughs> Office Space, I celebrate the entire catalog. Um, there you go. Legitimately, is Adam Hadwin okay? Because he kind of got sent yeah. sideways in that celebration. He is fine. Um, he tweeted out a picture of himself on the plane. His wife had a lot of fun with it. They've always had a really good social media sort of fake Twitter spat. She has a really good job of making fun of how he's not a very good domesticated husband and he's just a golfer and how silly it is. But um, I think she even had the social media post first that was he's okay for everybody that's concerned. And in true Canadian fashion, he apologized for being tackled. Sure. Um, (laughs) Which is exactly how it went. But yes, uh, calmer heads prevailed. And I know some people are out there giving the security guards some beef, and it's like, but you know what? It was raucous, and it was crazy, and he was doing his job. And, you know, I think everybody just sort of realized at the end it was sort of chaotic. But, yes, thankfully Adam Hadwin is fine. He'll be teeing it up this week at the U.S. Open. All right, so we'll, we'll get to live in PGA, and, oh, yes, that major uh, coming up in, in 48 hours in a moment. But one final thing on this, and I realize you're a broadcaster and not like an event planner, so I, I get that. Um, but part of what makes golf wonderful in person is, is the proximity, is how close you are to the action. Part of what we're trying to do in terms of, of golf is make it a, a little bit more, you know, modern. Um, you know, you you have these people have taken the, the copy from Phoenix. Let's have a big party hole at, at most of these events that would be yeah. non-majors. How do we find that sweet spot of having that and not having total chaos on the final hole? Yeah, I think I think the final whole chaos was just because you ended up with the Canadian and the sure. playoffs kept coming back there. You know, if it, when he made the putt to get to 1700, he being Nick Taylor on 18, I thought it was a it was a perfectly normal celebration of a country. And then Tommy Fleetwood was probably should have won the tournament outright. I mean, that was an easy final hole and kind of makes a mess of it and makes five to force the playoff. And if he had ended up making birdie, then they would have cheered him and everybody would have gone home. And it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, but you keep going back there. You know, you keep <laughs> lubricating up the fans the way they were. The rain started to fall. You just sort of lose your sense of, you know, what's right and what's wrong sometimes. So I think there were a lot of factors that sort of allowed that to boil. Now, the big hole that week was the 14th, which they call the rink. And they've turned this now at the Canadian Open the last couple of years into this, where they surround the entire tee box and then all the way up to the hole with effectively hockey boards. And people are pounding on the boards. And when the Canadians show up, they sing the Canadian national anthem. And that was getting a little hectic and, and chaotic. But again, I think you have to pick your spots. You know, we can't have a Phoenix every week on the PGA Tour and expect the players to be okay with just complete debauchery. Right. And, you know, not to like turn this into a PGA Tour versus live product sort of thing, but this concept of live is like golf but louder. It's like, great, yeah, some golf tournaments are stuffy, absolutely. But you know what? We love those golf tournaments, too. Like, you'll never see that environment at Augusta National, and it's the most watched golf tournament of the sport, and it's not even close. So we have balance in the sport between the party tournaments, the party holes, and the hushed tone, you know, admire the past, you know, let's not – 
let's not get too crazy type of stuff too. And that's what I think is the sweet spot. I don't think the sweet spot is let's go all in on turning everything into a party because there are a lot of people that won't go to those golf tournaments that want to spend money and be a, a patron somewhere, if you will. So I like it for this particular one because it's, it's really invigorated a lot of passion in that country. And it's such a good golf country, even though they only have about five months out of the year to play it. So let them party in Canada, and then we'll have some more reserved tournaments the rest of the summer. Balance, Happy Gilmore, Shooter McGavin. Got it. Will Haskett joining us here on the Fan Midday Show here on 93.5 and and 107.5 The Fan. You and I had a version of this conversation six days ago. What do you more know about live slash PGA slash DP World Tour than you did a week ago? And are your emotions or intellect on the subject, do you feel any differently about it than you did six days ago? We know nothing factually anymore. Like nothing has changed in terms of information that has been given through proper channels to understand it. We've obviously heard a lot more of the listen, it's not a merger between the PGA Tour and Live. This is a separate creation of an entity that is for profit. Now, part of that agreement that is in principle again and has not been voted upon and ratified is that the PGA Tour would be in this for profit entity that includes the PIF and all of those subsidiary holdings which is live. So if you read the framework of how it's been reported, it would mean that the PGA Tours commissioner, who's the CEO of this new for-profit entity, is now overseeing effectively live, which creates a lot of additional sort of questions of its survival moving forward. I think the only thing that's really probably changed in the last six days, Greg, is just the smart people of the world trying to ask questions and talk to their lawyer friends and their business acquisition people and say, like, can this happen legally? And there's just a lot of conjecture in that world. But no, we have not learned anything new. Uh, The PGA Tour is supposed to announce its schedule for 2024 coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I think that'll just sort of provide some clarity in terms of what golf on that tour looks like. But in terms of the structure of this new for-profit entity, what it means to live beyond 2023, I don't know when we're going to have any further details on that. All right. So uh, now 10 minutes into the conversation, let's talk about the U.S. Open, uh, shall we? Uh, And as is always the case when we talk about any major other than the Masters, the first conversation is where it's being held. Uh, Explain to me what you know about the Los Angeles Country Club, please. Not a whole lot. Uh, it's been 75 years since we've had a Southern California U.S. Um, US sorry, so an L.A. U.S. Open. Um, obviously, we've been to Torrey Pines a couple of times in Southern California. It's um, it's a historic venue. It's sort of opened itself up to having more national or international type of events after being just kind of a closed, super wealthy, high-end private sort of club. Um, tremendous bones, very much like Riviera, which I think is way more in our consciousness, which is right around the sure. you know, right around the corner. So it's going to have a lot of similarities. It's the same grasses, pointa greens, a lot of small putting surfaces and undulations, and then some of the video that the USGA sent out last week about what the rough is looking like is just diabolical. I mean, just gnarly stuff. And it's playing above 7,500 yards. The quirkiness of it is that we could have a par three in the front as long as 280 yards. And a par three in the back is short as seventy something yards. So it's it's a it's just we don't know enough yet from seeing it in practice rounds. I'm probably going to learn a lot more today talking to people that are on site. Um, but I, it's going to be a U.S. Open. The U.S. Open wants their golf courses to be tough. They want them to be you know brutal tests. They want the rough to garble up balls. So I think even though it it's a venue that I think offers some more uniqueness to the traditional 
Oakmont, Wingfoot, and, you know, big burly golf courses that we see in the U.S. Open rotation. I just don't think the USGA ever really differs from who they are. And that means let's make a golf course as hard as possible because we want even par to be a good score. And are we going to see more and more of these West Coast U.S. Open just because that means primetime golf on Father's Day weekend? It makes a ton of sense. The only difference there is that the USGA is kind of going to a more sort of standard rota like you would see at the Open Championship. You know, the British Open really doesn't deviate outside of, you know, six courses. You'll hear the same ones over and over with the occasional, oh, let's go to Ireland and and have some fun there. Um, But the USGA has sort of made this strategic partnership. And, I mean, gosh, I think, Greg, we've got US Open dates picked through, like, 2050 or something like that. We're getting into college football level scheduling, you know, in terms of enhancing home and homes in 35 and 36. Right. So Pinehurst is going to be in it a lot. Like it will go back to Pebble, Wingfoot, Oakmont, like these places like Oak Hills relationship with the PGA is, is kind of over. Like they've done a lot of PGA championships and senior PGAs. We were just there for the PGA championship to scuttle. But when I was in Rochester, they want to get back into a USGA Rota, and that golf course is certainly playing like a U.S. Open when we were there for the PGA Championship last month. So, yeah, you're going to see, I think because of the, the build-out, because of the infrastructure, these places like a Bethpage, like a Shinnecock, they just know what to do with them. The USGA likes them in terms of their strength and their brutishness to test these players, and it makes a lot of sense to sort of create the identity of that. But to your point, like we're way more excited, I feel like, for LACC this year because it's different, right? Because it's LA, because it's prime time. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into it. You know, you have to find the right partner, and I think it's really safe and easy to say we know what to expect from six or seven golf courses. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to say hey, let's take a flyer on this place or take a flyer on this place when they want to have it. Final thing before we let you go, not asking you to pick a favor to pick a winner, but uh, kind of who's on your radar, whether it's a group, how this person is playing a story, who kind of first and foremost comes to your mind when you think about it for this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I thought Memorial played like a U.S. Open venue a couple of weeks ago when I was there because of how dry everybody knows it's been here in the Midwest. So you had a firm golf course and crazy thick rough. And Victor Hovland is a player that I think we've always sort of said is built for those types of tests. And lo and behold, he won. So guys that drive it incredibly long and incredibly straight and are world-class strikers of the golf ball. And typically that means guys that are in the top 10 in the world, but guys that do that particularly well are like a Victor Hovland, a, a John Rahm. Tyrrell Hatton, I think, will be a popular pick this week just because he hits it on a string. He's been playing really good golf. He was, you know, one shot out of the playoffs this past week in Canada as well. Um, those are the kind of the guys that, as of right now, I, I would always say are on a short list of U.S. Open favorites because, again, I think a USGA setup really is set up for one particular type of golfer, and those are the golfers that I always have my eye on when it comes to these types of weeks. Jimmy, I hope you wrote all of this down the way you can talk about it tomorrow again with Will when he is here for the full three-hour version. That was the freeze-dried edition over the course of 15 minutes. As always, thanks for the time and the insight, my friend. We'll do it again soon. You got it. We'll ask it again. PGA Tour Radio, PGA Tour Live, NCA.com, Horizon League, and a pretty doggone good golfer when he actually gets the time to swing the sticks. We'll take this quick timeout. Um, I'm going to double back to one thing I missed from the Nuggets conversation last segment. Maybe I'll offer a little more insight in the U.S. Open, and we'll open it up for some other conversation as well. We are now guest-free between now and 1.30. So if something for the first couple of segments has caught your attention, now's the time. 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show, greg at 1070thefan.com. Back in a moment. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 1.30, it's Mike Chappell. Uh, Colts players talking. I've just seen comments from uh, Zaire Franklin uh, go by a few minutes ago. So the uh, media session for Colts players. You'll hear more from the Colts the next three days because that's it. After we get through Thursday, uh, that's it for for kind of Colts get-togethers, practices, etc. Everybody kind of scatters the four wins for about 40 days. And sometime around July 25th, 26th, training camp will open back up. And then it is on to the next season of Indianapolis Colts football. This being the 40th season of Indianapolis Colts football that we're getting ready to embark on. And luckily for me, this will be my 12th season of being a part of the Colts radio network. And it will be, let me see, one, two, skip that one, three, four, five, number five of me getting to do preseason games on television. Just two of them this year. Damn that Amazon Prime. But I'm looking forward to that coming up in the month of August as well. We'll talk to Mike Chappell coming up at 1.30. Scott Agnes at 2 o'clock. And again, Charlie Clifford. I'll consider this your Skyline Chili Cincinnati update because there's a lot of interesting things that kept my attention about what's going on down I-74. Like, hey, can we care about the Reds again? I think we can. Judging by the people that are showing up to games, I think you do too. We'll talk to Charlie about that and a variety of things coming up a little bit later on the program. Um, Jimmy must be concerned with my eyesight as I'm getting advanced and aged because he wrote the out time for me as in, hey, stop talking at this point to make our break properly. In relatively reasonable um, size letters, I'd say that's a, a 24, 36 font that you have back there, and then proceeded to walk to a board closer to me and in much larger fashion uh, write that so I could see it. I can see that one over there. Thank you. Didn't know near started, but, but, far but, sided. But, but, but if you if you just want to work on your steps, you can write it all over. You can, you know, <laughs> treat it like, you know, John Nash and Beautiful Mind right all over the studio. I don't care. Now, if I took off my glasses, Actually, you wrote that big enough. I can actually still see that without my glasses. And I can't see squat. So trust me, that's over there fine. But thank you very much. Um, one thing I missed in talking about, see, this when I'm filling in, if I make Jimmy laugh, I'm doing my job. Whatever else I can do to entertain you, inform you, have you to not change the channel is a good thing. If I make him laugh, I feel like I'm doing a good job on the show. Because that's like the live studio audience that I have in front of me. Um, one person I wanted to make sure that I singled out in the Denver Nuggets winning because I saw him last night and I saw the emotion in his face uh, and I, I could kind of overhear through the crowd, Mike. It's Popeye Jones, former assistant coach for the Indiana Pacers, longtime NBA player. I'll go through this, but I would be pretty sure given how he reacted. I think this is the first NBA title he's been a part of as a player or a coach. I'll quickly look up the bio, but Popeye Jones, good dude. Congratulations to him on being an NBA champion a night ago with the Nuggets taking that series in five. Um, Since Will Haskett was kind enough 
to be on with us. I'm like, all right, let me kind of scroll through because always me being the local guy, I want to bring the story back to Indiana. And we've kind of gone through a time period where there's been a handful of Indiana guys on the PGA Tour, but not a lot of guys playing in majors. That has changed this year. We have two representatives, Avon's Patrick Rogers, tees up on the 10th tee on Thursday morning at 718. Adam Schenk of Knox County tees off on the first tee at 1237. And I'm assuming all of those times, times are local as into Pacific time. So that means that Patrick Rogers tees off at 1018 on Thursday. Adam Shank tees off at 337 on Thursday afternoon. In case you are wanting to follow your local golfers coming up in the U.S. Open. Other thing that I would say is this, um, even if to some degree we think the PGA Tour live rivalry is going away, but you simply want to see those guys you don't see on the tour on a regular basis, DeChambeau, Kepka, Johnson, Mickelson, all a part of the U.S. Open field. So you do have a chance to see those guys. that they'll, They're going to have to wear full pants. They can't wear their shorts this week. But if you miss seeing those guys on a regular basis, you do have that opportunity coming up. Next segment of the show, we'll get back to talking about the NBA Finals. Knowing we're guest heavy from 1.30 on, I will also then kind of play catch up on some other topics that I wanted to kind of get to, pay off, or talk about on the program today. We'll be joined by Mike Chappell next hour, Scott Agnes, Charlie Clifford, 2 o'clock hour. It's Greg Rakestraw with you on this Tuesday afternoon on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Anthony Richardson speaking to the assembled media out at the Indianapolis Colts Complex as we speak. We'll get a full recap from Mike Chappell when he joins us in the next segment of the show. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files talking about Pacers draft workouts, but most importantly, what they're going to do that number seven pick. Are they taking a number seven pick? Are they potentially moving that up? I don't think they would move it down. I could be wrong. And Pacers do have a little salary cap flexibility, even if they have a lot of locked-in contracts. Indiana Pacers were 29th in terms of cap dollars spent in 2023. In terms of cap dollars committed for 23-24, the Indiana Pacers are 26th. So it's not a great free agent market. Although I did note that uh, Fred Van Vliet, not that I'm sure because of kind of the youth the Pacers have in the backcourt here, if they would be a, a if he'd be a guy the Pacers would target. We referenced, um, you know, Bruce Brown uh, from the Denver Nuggets. Um, you know, maybe he's going to test free agency just because again it's time to cash in. It's not a great market. But there is enough teams that have some cap space where you go, hey, we're a player away from being a contender. And obviously, everything for the Indiana Pacers in 2023-24 is simply, are you going to be a playoff team or not? 
can you get to that number six seed to guarantee yourself a top six position to guarantee yourself a um a a um you know a best of seven game series and so we'll have that conversation with scott agnes coming up during the two o'clock hour of the program Uh, also charlie clifford will check in for all things cincinnati coming up at about 2 30 you got something you want to talk about now is the time 317-239-1070 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show to Greg at 1070thefan.com. Spent the first segment talking about all things NBA Finals. And I'm happy to keep that conversation going. Spent the next segment talking about all things that's going on in the world of golf. Because it is almost again like, oh, by the way, there's like the second or third biggest event of the year, depending on your perspective. Like, if you're in the States, you would say this is the second biggest event of the year. If you're in Europe or most parts of the world, you'd say this is the third biggest tournament of the year because you put the Open Championship on that number two pedestal. Everybody knows you're playing for second behind the Masters. So we talked all things golf with Will Haskett. Either of those topics catch your attention, feel free to dial us up now. One other thing about the NBA Finals that that I want at least to discuss couple things that, that, that I'll start this segment by talking about. One, it was refreshing to see a variety of my friends that I call old hoop heads singing the praises of Nikola Jokic last night. And because of what I do for a living, I have a variety of people that played college basketball, played professional basketball, are around the game on a full-time basis, and to be blunt, frankly, have a diversity of racial background that populate my Facebook feed um, after every key NBA game, after every NBA playoff game. And I love the fact that it was universal. Hey, Nikola Jokic is a bad dude. Hey, this guy can play. Hey, I love the fact that this was a team game. I love the two-man combination between Jokic and Murray and the job that the role players did on the Nuggets to deliver a championship. Because, and I am very rarely the person that goes, well, the national media. I'm not that guy. Okay? I'm, that that's, that's not my shtick. That's not what I do. But I will say on this particular subject, we have fallen into the star blanker trap of, you don't have to, and, and this has been the NBA's marketing for 40 years, okay? So maybe the NBA themselves has, has this to blame. And it's part of been just the way that things have played out. And I'll, I'll give you the numbers to back that up coming up here in a matter of moments. But in the NBA, maybe even more than other sports, and other sports, maybe we have kind of replicated this as kind of the water cooler sports talk radio social media conversation over the last 30 to 40 years. We talk less about individual teams, talk more about, you know, players like the Spurs. And again, there's the Tim Duncan comparison for Jokic, you know, are almost the exception to rule. And what do we say about the Spurs winning championships for a while? It was boring. We didn't like it. It was just, it was just basketball. It wasn't, hey, Michael Jordan. Hey, Shaq and Kobe. Hey, LeBron James. You get the idea. 
In the Spurs, yeah, you could point to Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, on later years Kawhi Leonard. But it was great basketball. Well, that's kind of what last, even if the, even if game five wasn't the, you know, we, we moved the needle back to the 90s at times and how that game was played and finished out at 94-89. But it was still a great team performance. And there's a couple of individuals you point to that carried the freight, especially down the stretch. But now I'm curious, again, those that know the game, those that I think that are more, I think I'm pretty intelligent about the game, but there are others that I acknowledge know more about because they played at a much higher level than I, my physical limitations, were able to. And the fact that they were in love with, with as much of how that game was played and the epicenter of that team from Denver, that made me smile. Now I'm curious if Talking Head Television will do the same. Just something that I'll throw out there. But part of the reason why maybe... The, the conversation has changed. I gave you some historical you know, data or thoughts on that in terms of how the NBA was marketed in the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, then Michael Jordan, et cetera, era that has now carried over to this time where seemingly one-third of the basketball conversation that has to take place is still about LeBron James 20 years into his career. This is what we've talked about for the course of the last 20 years, and heaven forbid you do something different. But part of the reason why we've done that is because typically we've talked about the same teams because there hasn't been that big of a tradition of teams breaking through. We've now had that now in three of the last five NBA champs or the Toronto Raptors win their first ever championship in 19 Again, because Kawhi Leonard was was traded there, ended up there, but didn't want to stay there long term. But the Raptors won their first title in their 24th season. The Bucks won their first title in 50 years, two years ago. The Nuggets, as we notated early in the program, have won their first title in their 47th NBA season. But it, it's it's been tougher for teams to break through because it's been, I don't want to say the same old, same old, but established teams. So if you go back to, say, 1987, back-to-back Lakers, back-to-back Pistons, three Bulls, two Rockets, three Bulls, Spurs in 99, you begin kind of the Lakers run for the next three or four years. Then the Heat kind of flash and pop in 06. Then you mix in some Spurs championships. Then the Celtics get one. Then the Lakers get one. And even though they didn't have like these back-to-back champions, uh, you know, championships, these were largely teams. I guess the Lakers would have had a couple of, at that point in time. Um, teams that have been there, done that. We're talking about, hey, the Lakers have won 17. Hey, the Celtics have won 16. You kind of get the idea. You had that Mavericks one-off I want to say it was 2011 or 2012. Then you had, you know, that was the first year of not one, not two, not three. Ended up being two, as far as the Heat were concerned, in 12 or 13. And then you get to the Warriors, which have won, what, four in the span of eight years? From 15 to 2022. So part of the reason why we've kind of fixated on these, you know, few individuals is that it's frankly been few teams that have won. So I remember as a kid how big of a deal it was 
when the Lakers repeated in 88 because they were the first team since the Celtics in 69 to win back-to-back championships. So even if we largely had like the same combination of like four teams, really five, that were a part of the championship discussion in the 80s, took until like 88 for a team to go back-to-back. I mean, half of the NBA Finals in the 80s, I think the Lakers were a part of, if not more. And like the one team that didn't make that, that made it that wasn't named them in the 80s were the Rockets. They made an 81 and 86. You know, the Sixers made the finals three times. The Pistons made the finals twice. The Celtics were the team that made it. I think I just named all of the NBA finalists in the 1980s and about like, like, and I didn't get to the second hand in terms of counting fingers. It was like five teams. So that was kind of the genesis of it. Last night, we had a fifth team win a championship, a fifth different team win a title in a five-year span for the first time since 1977 to 1981. 77, I think you're looking at like the 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 Wizards now slash Bullets, along with the Sonics being a part of that mix. The Celtics were in that mix. The Lakers were in that mix. The 70s also had the Warriors winning kind of a random title uh, in 75. 70s did not, have, you know, the Knicks won one, maybe they won two. The Bucks won one. That was kind of the last period that is like this one. And yes, I would agree, the Nuggets are, in theory, a team that could win multiple championships. But we haven't had a period like this in a long time where you can point to multiple teams and say, that you know, this team has champs experience. The Lakers have championship experience. The Warriors have championship experience. The Raptors have largely been blown up, so you, so, you know they may have championship experience, but you're not going to focus on them. The Bucks obviously have championship experience, even though the Heat have not won one with this current iteration. They've been in two of the last four finals, and they certainly seem likely. Like if Damian Lillard is going to move or some other big piece is going to move. And if they got to a championship with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, no Tyler Hero, several really good role players, you kind of think the Heat are likely going to get one more big piece to come join them this summer. And they may be a team that rockets themselves to the front of the conversation in terms of the Eastern Conference. So in one sense, the Nuggets are set up to be a potential repeat slash dynasty team. Because again, I, I went over this earlier on the show, but you know, studies show that you're probably not listening for the in, entirety of the program. But in case you were wondering, Jokic under contract through 27. Murray has two more years on his deal. Michael Porter under contract for four years. Aaron Gordon for two, possibly three. Caldwell Pope for one, possibly two. It's Bruce Brown that is the guy that would likely opt out and test the free agent market, knowing that uh, he's been in the league for about five years, and uh, when you play the role that he did on a championship team, you're probably going to get paid. So just some 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 thoughts and some facts to consider. Okay. 
in terms of the NBA Finals. You got something you want to say? Dial us up now, 317-239-1070, at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. And it doesn't be about this topic either. Again, we are guest heavy from 1.30 on. So you want something you want to talk about? Feel free. Alec, um, again, I joke about this frequently when I'm on the show, all of a sudden high school hoops and soccer come into play when I'm sitting down here because there are a couple of things I tend to spend a lot of time thinking about, talking about, and broadcasting. And Alec wants to ask about a little high school hoops. Hello, Alec. How are you? I'm good, Rick. How are you? I'm good. What's up, buddy? Good. Hey, I know we could talk about uh, what's going on south side with you into here all day, but I wanted, <clears throat> I wanted to talk about uh, what's going on in New Albany with uh, Coach leaving after just a few months and the carousel that's going on down there in uh, high school basketball. So what um... – what what Alec is, is referring to, and I want to make sure I'm I'm saying the name properly, because one of these guys that I've I've only had a chance to briefly kind of cover his teams, but Craig Teagle uh, is a very well represented or very well respected um, and very much a defensive minded coach. He first kind of crossed my radar at Jay County. He has been at Huntington North. Um, it was and he was hired by New Albany. Jim Shannon, and again Alec knows this, but for those that are that are listening that don't. Um, Jim Shaman announced his retirement at the beginning of the season. This year was kind of a victory tour for Jim. Wasn't his best team at New Albany. But in other words, the folks in New Albany could kind of work behind the scenes knowing they were going to bring somebody in. And I want to say that it was pretty much right for the state finals in April. But it was in, maybe it was even in March that Craig was going to be named as the next head coach. And Craig's resume was very impressive. But I, th- I thought it was interesting. I'm like, I'm not sure that's a great fit. Well, uh, maybe I was right about that because it was announced yesterday that he is stepping down at New Albany, and I'm not sure if it's officially official just yet. I think he's heading to Bluffton, uh, going to the 2A level uh, to go be the head coach of that program. So Craig has been a head coach now for more than 30 years. He has won more than 440 games. He spent the last eight years at Huntington North. He spent the previous 16 years at Jay County. Spent time at Caston and Knox. So all of his experience was in northern Indiana, um, not in southern Indiana. Obviously, I grew up, well, I mean, I played the New Albany sectional, uh, but I, I'm not going to um, pretend that I have some innate inner working knowledge of the, of the, of the situation down there. Um, what was cited yesterday was a family medical emergency. In other words, wanted to go back to uh, coaching and teaching back in the area in which he had been, and Bluffton is not far from Huntington. Those that know the geography of the area, I think it's the neighboring county over. I think Bluffton's in Wells County, and which is next to Huntington County. And so that's the reason why Craig cited that he wanted to go back. And so the New Albany job is now open. I don't know if it was politics behind the scenes. I'm not sure if it was a change of heart. I tend to take people that I really don't know, Alec, at their word until it is proven otherwise. So could there be something? Could there be smoke there? There could be. Could it be exactly as it's been portrayed so far? Absolutely, it could be. But I will tell you this: I always thought, hey, listen, I know he can really coach, but man, that is a that is a culture change going from Northeast Indiana, going to where you can see the Ohio River from from your front yard, and it's as as I know, having lived in both Central Indiana and Southern Indiana, they're the same state. It's two different places. Alec, how does that answer your question for you? 
Hi, it works for me. It's a uh, interesting carousel, especially this late in the uh, process. Right. I was just kind of curious what you were thinking. Sure. And, Alec, buddy, thanks for the telephone call. I appreciate that. And again, and I don't I, – I walk this line between, you know, being an insider, but I'm, I'm not really a reporter. It's, it's not what I do. Um, I, I, I've got connections there, but I frankly have not had time to kind of, you know, dig into those connections a, a great deal. Um, I know Craig can really coach. I know New Albany's had a great history. I know the guy that they just had can really coach as well. Um, I I know that, again, there could have been a a bit of a – again, I don't know this, all right? But could there have been a Styles clash of him going down there and his being kind of an oil and water situation? Absolutely, that could be the case. But I will stick with what I said a moment ago. I tend to take people at their word unless I have a reason to not believe them or have knowledge as to why that's not the case, and I don't have that in that situation. But, Alec, to your point, man, there are more changes in coaching than I have ever seen before that have happened during the course of this year and seemingly are continuing to happen on a regular basis. And there's probably a lot of, a lot of different uh, ways that you go about that. But speaking of things where they may not always be as they seem, uh, I know I was going to address this at some point in time in the program today, and it has been a big topic of conversation really for the last two or three weeks, maybe even for a few weeks before that. Now that their season has come to an end, this will kind of slowly fade away. And we're three days removed from the Indiana State University baseball season coming to an end. Uh, Their most successful season since 1986. The lone time under Bob Warren that the Indiana State Sycamores qualified for the College World Series. And obviously, this is going to always be more than just a basic sports story because of how the way the situation played out. Because there will always be a you-never-know attached to it because they weren't able to play when they were supposed to play at home and hosting TCU. Instead, they had to go on the road. What would have been a crowd of 2,500 at Bob Warren that would have been largely pro-Indiana State turned into a crowd of nearly 9,000 in Fort Worth that was obviously flecks of blue with a whole lot of purple. And perhaps TCU would have done the exact same thing to Indiana State that they did on Friday and Saturday. And I want to say the scores were 4-1 and 6-4, I believe was the case. Maybe that's where the run would have ended for for Indiana State had they been playing those games on their home turf and not a time zone away. But again, you'll never know. But one thing that I will say is this. My sphere of, of, of knowledge or expertise is strictly in the athletic department at Indiana State. And there's a lot of people that I like over there with the dealings that I've had with them. I know of some of the problems they have had in terms of the general student population and rapidly declining. And again, and I said this last week on the show, um, there's always to some degree you're fighting the Terre Haute factor. Well, the older I get, the softer of a spot, spot in my heart I have for those in the Wabash Valley. And the more I think, you know what? Tarot's not a bad place at all. Um, but apparently, and again, like I said, I tend to take people at the word unless I have proof 
or good intel, um, or even to use the journalistic term, multiple sources as to why something may be otherwise. And so last week, when it became known on late Monday that Indiana State was not going to host, there was a lot of a lot of vitriol directed, and a lot of it was directed at the athletic director in Sherrard Klinkscales. The next day, Sherrard had a press conference and largely took a lot of bullets for it. Largely said, hey, the buck stops with me. It's my responsibility. I withdrew the bid, etc. Well, I will say this. I've had the conversation to, one, see this on social media, and two, have a conversation with a separate source that both have had um, a great deal of knowledge insider knowledge, connections to the university that aren't necessarily the case anymore. In other words, they're not bound by a paycheck in terms of um, what they can say, what their view might be. Um, They can kind of give you the unvarnished truth. And separately, those two people have both said to me, one again, one was a direct conversation with me, the other one was uh, a, a very public Twitter thread that whatever problem there might be at Indiana State, isn't with the AD and goes to the president of the university and that the feedback and the blowback from that are just getting started in Indiana State. So as this story kind of fades off, and this is probably the last time that I'm kind of planning on talking about it in depth in terms of the baseball season, what they accomplished, not hosting a regional, seeing their set, seeing their season end in just a couple of games at the Super Regional down in Fort Worth. Congratulations to Mitch Hannes. Congratulations to those young men. I loved having Lane Miller on the show last week. Go back and listen to the interview when you have a chance. 1075thefan.com. I ended my conversation with Lane by saying, I hope you don't get the ball because it means your team won both games. Lane didn't get the ball because his team lost both games. He was going to be the number, the number three starter, and he is off the United States Marine Corps and officer training school coming up in September. But congratulations to those guys for proving you can get it done at Indiana State. You can get it done in Terre Haute. I hope those that fell in love with the athletic program slash the baseball team slash the school – I hope you can find a way to continue to support those student-athletes to let them know they're appreciated, frankly, with your dollars, because that's the name of the game now is NIL and, and things like that. I hope you can find a way to do that. But if you're not happy with the leadership at the top of the university, you can somehow not penalize the athletic program or the student-athletes, but make your voice heard that you're not liking what's going on higher up. And I'm not sure I've got a great answer for that, but that would be my wish in the subject because I want to see the momentum that is seemingly building an athletic program. I want to see that continue. But if that means you got to shake loose a couple apples from the trees, I guess it wouldn't be an apple tree, just be leaves off the sycamore tree if not on Indiana State, right? Hopefully that situation gets taken care of. We'll take this quick time out. Mike Chappell joins us next. It's Greg Rakestraw on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You know, when Bob Seger was singing about Hollywood Nights, I really think he was thinking about Mike Chappell's Evenings in Beach Grove. I think that was the message he was trying to relate to the listening audience. Chappie joins us now. You just went through like an hour of Colts conversation, 56th Street. What did you learn in those last 60 minutes, Chappie? What I learned is I, I hope Anthony Richardson can play football <laughs> because he he, he is, he's got the personality and what you really look for, this kid's going to be the face of the franchise. And it, it, that encompasses a lot of things. Number one, being being able to play football, you know, being, I'm not saying Peyton Manning, I'm not even saying Andrew Luck, but being a guy you can build around, win around, do special things. And part of that is interacting with the media. It, it does. I mean, it sounds overblown, but it, it's not. You, it's, you, you, like I say, you're, you're the you're the face, and you're the, in a lot of times, the, the voice of the franchise. And you know, he starts off by saying, hey, "I'm just here so I don't get fined." Right. <laughs> and you know, and then he's and now I told my mom I was going to do that. Well, that's just it's just personality, and I'm sure to the casual fan, it doesn't mean squat. But I've been around enough to where we've had quarterbacks and, and players. Who, who either weren't comfortable doing it, which is probably the case most of the time, or just didn't care uh, how they came across. And it's that's why when we've talked from the start about Richardson and how he, he's assuming so much at a very – well, he just turned 21 – at a young age. And it takes a special person to be able to do that, do that in – We've seen, again, initially, he's got that. And now we'll see over the next – that's what I'm writing about for tomorrow is – or tonight is we'll find out in the next several months or a year or two whether this guy is a real deal. But at least he's given us glimpses that he might be outside of football, which is important as well. Absolutely. And, and again, he's doing all the little things right. But is the, it, is not, it, is, it is obviously the big thing – when will is there anything that you've seen in in the limited time we get to watch in April May June that you go hey that impresses me or is there really anything that that is of tangible consequence that we get to see or does that not begin until really July and August I think in in late July and August I really, what we've seen is what three is it three practices we've seen something like that in, in the first one he and Gardner Minshew really split time with the first unit. The next two practices, it was really Minshew and then uh, Richardson with the second group. And it, it, that's like one practice a week. They practiced two or three times the rest of the week. And maybe maybe Richardson took more of those those weeks or those those games practices. So we don't know. In training camp, we'll know. We'll see if 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 this team really believes he's making the necessary progress development to toward maybe starting week one, then he'll be taking, you know, a, a good chunk of the number one reps. He has to. And I, I think he has to maybe regardless, because you need to find out, you know, what you've got. But I think we'll see in camp how they break down 
the rifts between he and Minshew because you've got you've got to get the rookie ready. You've got to. I don't want to say accelerate, but yeah, maybe that's the word, accelerate the development so you know. And I've said all along that I think he starts the opener unless he gives you reason to believe he's not ready. Uh, I, I just think he would really have to be behind because I'm convinced Minshew will be more ready. He's familiar with the offense. He's with the, the four-year veteran. But Richardson is going to take you where you want to go eventually, not this year, Probably, but you know, I, I'm curious to see in training camp. That's when we're going to see, you know, how they really view things. And what we've seen from Richardson on the field is what what we expected: some amazing throws, a strong arm, and some throws that don't go where they're supposed to. Well, that's that's what was he in college? Fifty three percent, right? Uh, so, so he, he, that will that has to come up, obviously. What you want, gosh, 64, 65% if you can. He might may not get there. But I, I think we've seen kind of what we expected. And, boy, I tell you, firsthand, the kid's got a gun. Oh, you did a great job of trying to say, listen, let's, let's not try to set the bar as Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning. Uh, because again, those are those are the ridiculous recent examples of success we have had right. for Colts quarterbacks draft from the first round. I'm not going to ask you to compare Richardson to Luck or Manning. I'm going to have you compare Luck and Manning. How much of a better quarterback was Andrew Luck in his rookie year in 2012 than Peyton was in '98, or or was he really a better quarterback his rookie year versus Peyton's? It's a good question because Peyton's rookie year, he had a really good offense around him. I mean, goodness gracious, he had what Marshall Falk, right, <laughs> and Marvin and Marcus Pollard and all these guys, and he had a really good offensive line, but the, the offense was awful, and they paid the price. Luck had boy, Luck, and he was three and thirteen, right. And remember, Luck was what eleven and five, and gosh, I think he he either set some kind of record or whatever with like seven or eight fourth quarter comebacks, and you just saw that he he was a level above and I don't know that he was but he I don't think he was better than Manning his, his rookie year it took Manning a little bit longer to it took about half of the season to really kind of get it I think and I've mentioned before that the Frisco game which was about mid-season he he was really on it and yep. from that point on he had it so you know how you anticipate Richardson where he needs to be, I don't know because they're, they're. It's totally unfair, even though he was a fourth overall pick. It's totally unfair to, to to use the bar for Manning and Luck with with this kid. Thir- thirteen games. He played thirteen games and threw like three hundred and some passes in college. Well, that's that's nothing. So you know, I, I I I'm curious how he develops. I'm really curious how the team thinks he's developing to give people an idea peyton manning in in 1998 completion percentage 57 percent 26 touchdowns 20 interceptions through for 3700 yards the game 20 20 touchdowns and 27 interceptions right it was 26 and 28 is what he had in year number one 28 because the 28 still is yep is the the rookie record that he hopes somebody's gonna pass at some point in time and keep it and what i always tell people that those 13 losses those were more games than he lost in college and high school combined. Right, right. So that was foreign to him. And, and there were times you saw the, the losses really weighing on Peyton. 
I, I remember a game in Seattle where they were ahead, and then I think it was Ricky Waters just ran over them. And after the game, as players do, they kind of stand on the field with you know each team, and they sort of catch up with buddies. And I remember talking to Peyton in the locker room, and he was PO'd. He said, hey, he said, these guys need to get their asses in here and act like these losses hurt. Well, that that was just the frustration of a rookie, and I understood it. But, you know, the, the fact that players chum around after a game had nothing to do with the fact that they didn't care about winning. They, they just weren't good enough. Uh, and, and another thing about Richardson is what's kind of what we've talked about is he said, you know, I know that I don't know everything. But, you know, he said, I, I know, I also know that I can't do the bare minimum. He understands that much is being not asked, but demanded of him. Uh, he, he, he can't come in here and just feel entitled. Hey, it was the fourth pick. I'm going to make 30 some million dollars guaranteed. That, uh, I, I guess I could see some guys who aren't wired the right way have that approach. But you can't. If you're one of the really elite players, whatever your position, and 99.9% of the players are, that's what you want. You want a guy that's, you know, not necessarily first in the building and last out, but but along that line. And your quarterback has to be more. He just does. There's right or wrong. Everything that he does is scrutinized. And we'll overdo it in camp. We're all going to you know, chart his passes, what did he do 7-on-7, 11-on-11, and how does that compare to Minshew? Because that's what we do. It's either that or stand there and talk to each other, and we, <laughs> we, do, we, we do need to pay attention. But but that that's where we are is how we're going to overanalyze how he does. It's hard to do in, 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 in OTAs because we only get that one day a week, and we'll have three days this week. Training camps, like I said, that's when you really get an idea of who's doing what there's, you know, there, there, there's, there's contact, you know, he's getting, he's not getting sacked, but he's getting jostled receivers are getting jostled. So that's when, that's when you really see where the team is coming together and more important how the quarterbacks coming together. We, we, we've had a couple of camps where the quarterbacks were awful. Remember when Carson Wentz got the, the broken uh-huh. like the first day and we had to watch who was it? Uh, Jacob Eason and, I'm, I'm forgetting the uh, PJ. It was a Walker. Correct. It was. It would have, it would, it would have been uh, Ellinger. that was a part of that group. And I'm trying to think of who the third. The third quarterback would have been Brett Hundley. I, okay. Yeah. Okay. Hundley. So it, it's you, you know that that's what we're going to see. And and you you can see in training camp if the quarterback is is doing things the right way. We're, we're going to see that from Minshew. We will. Uh, again, I go back to the Manning and, and the luck years, and camp was just it, it just ran the right way with Peyton. You know, they the, the, like, like Marvin Harrison used to say, you know, the ball never touched the touched the field because he was on target. The receivers did what they were supposed to. Not quite that level with luck, but you you just hope you can see the the growing and the development and the learning arc of, of Richardson going up. And he'll he'll have bad days. He will. This will be a decent defense. They're going to present problems. You know, like he told us today, I haven't seen things that I'm going to see at the NFL level. So he's got the right approach, and I'm looking forward to training camp to when you can really see 
maybe what this kid is. There are a few things that will top the level of conversation of a first-round quarterback taken when he, again, is going to be handed the game ball at some point, week one right. or soon after that. But losing a starting cornerback because of a gambling investigation uh, obviously can, can supersede that at least briefly. Um, I'll be blunt. I've been pleasantly surprised with how open and honest his teammates have been in terms of Isaiah Rogers in terms of talking about the story over the course of the last couple of weeks. I know Kenny Moore was speaking about it today. You've been around this league a, a long time. Um, the Arch Leister stuff just predated you to some degree, at least the, <laughs> the, the Baltimore version of it. But it's kind of your thoughts watching this unfold over the course of the last eight or nine days. Very unfortunate. Uh, I, I, I feel bad for Isaiah Rogers, but only to a point. He, th- th- this is self-inflicted to the highest level. Uh, I, I I really was was impressed by Kenny Moore, you know, embracing Isaiah Rogers, not 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 the gambling part, part but the person part. And he said, "Hey, you know, he's my brother." Well, you know, and, and you you embrace him, and you know, you know, we've got your back, and, and they want to see him get through this because these guys form relationships that are going to far exceed their their football careers. But 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 the cold fact is, he Richardson or uh, uh, Rogers probably will never play for the Colts again. A very real possibility, and there's a and there's the the, the possibility he may, he may never play again. Uh, again, betting is, is we can argue the right and wrong about gambling. These players know. I, I they just know what they can and can't do, and at what level. You know, does the player one think he can he can bet from the locker room or the complex? Two, that he can bet on NFL games, and three, that he can bet on his own team. I mean, I, the, the the league really, I think they're going to bring the hammer down. They've already had, you know, the Calvin Ridley was was, was a year, and a couple of this, a couple that in in April, whatever, were I think one was or two or six games, and. A couple of them were one years. I think this is going to be the indefinite suspension with, you know, the possibility of banishment, I guess, lifetime banishment. I don't know. It's betting on your own team is such a, a line that you cannot cross. And it's really so unfortunate on a, on a personal, on a personal level, because he's like 25. He just burned $2.7 million that he was due this year and with the talents that he's shown if he played decent this year he was going to get a good contract if not from the Colts and somebody else and that's generational you know security and I think maybe that just shows you the 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 lure of gambling and the high that it gives you I've gambled before I hung around with Robin Miller, you know, and so so I've gambled before, and when you get to the point that you don't care who won, it's did they cover? That that's when you got a problem, and uh, I, I feel for the kid, but doggone it, he brought this on himself, and you know, on, on the team level, it robs them of a of a potential starter and a, a great kick returner, and they're going to have to sort of you know, fill that gap at both spots. And cornerback was was probably the one spot 
that you couldn't really afford to lose a potential starter. I'm not talking a, a frontline major frontline player like a JT or sure. you know like that. But but th- th- this is a, a, a young developing player, and it comes at a very bad situ- position with this team. No doubt about it. Chappie, as always, buddy, you're the best. I hope I see you out there in the next couple of days. If not, I'll see you at training camp coming up in July. Always there. Thank you. You got it, buddy. Mike Chappell, kind enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. A few uh, small news nuggets, tidbits, and I asked Chappie about that luck banning comparison strictly as rookies. Kind of give you some numbers when we come back. It's Greg Rakestraw on the Fan Midday Show. Scott Agnes at 2, Charlie Clifford at 2.30, JMV at 3 on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. About to be trivia time with Jimmy coming up here in a matter of moments, but I asked that question of Mike Chappell last segment in terms of comparing the rookie years because I was not around. I mean, I was I was around. I was a freshman in high school. Was it covering the team when Jeff George had his rookie season with the Colts in 1990? But in 1998, I was covering the team. I was the producer of a daily talk show on a different radio station in town. Uh, I was the uh, I was the highlight guy for the Colts radio network in 98. So I was listening to every Colts broadcast in 1998 uh, when Peyton Manning had his rookie season. And Mike jumped to the most important stat for a quarterback, and that is wins. Peyton's rookie year was 3-13. and 13. Andrews was 11-5. and five. And Mike also pointed out you had Marshall Falk, you had Marvin Harrison, you had Marcus Pollard, Ken Dilger, et cetera. Maybe not the same level of pieces, although I would say Reggie Wayne in 2012 was a damn good player and T.Y. Hilton was just getting into his own. But yes, probably the pieces were a little bit better on the 1998 Colts than, say, the 2012 Colts. But here are the comparison numbers. Again, just as rookies, okay? I'm not here trying to say Andrew Luck had a better career than Peyton Manning, okay? Did not happen. For multiple reasons. And Chappie, Chappie hit on, on an important game. Hit on a very specific game talking about Peyton Manning's rookie season. And I vividly remember that game and going, we're going to be just fine. But here are the numbers. Peyton Manning in 98. 57% completion percentage. Which is low for Peyton. That catches your attention. 26 touchdowns, not bad for a rook. That's actually more than Andrew Luck had 14 years later. 28 interceptions. That's the low water mark, so to speak, from Peyton Manning's Hall of Fame. Uh, get to a second or third finger in terms of counting the greatest quarterbacks of all time um, at most. And the y- yardage, 37-39. Andrew Luck, completion percentage was less than Peyton's. 54%. To give you an idea, and again, to try to give you an accurate comparison of the day, kind of how the game you know changes over the course of, of even 15 years, okay? Peyton Manning's completion percentage was 57% in 1998. The NFL number 
or the number of, of, of against teams that played against the Colts was 60%. Andrew Luck's completion percentage as a rookie, 54%. Teams that played the Colts, their average completion percentage, 62%. Uh, Peyton sacked 22 times as a rookie. Andrew Luck, 41. Again, kind of difference in how the offense was structured, how it was built. Bruce Arians is a big part of both. Wasn't calling the shots in 98. He was in 2012. And Bruce's offenses are known for quarterbacks going to hold the ball a little bit longer. Andrew Luck, 23 touchdowns, 18 interceptions, 4,374 yards. Again, part of that's just difference in how much the ball was thrown from 98 to 2012. So just, just wanted to throw it out there, okay? Because that is the bar of comparison that Richardson will have to deal with. And I remember, because obviously I was much more in a position of being in a seat like this, leading into Andrew Luck's rookie season, during Andrew Luck's rookie season. That was also my rookie season of being a part of the Colts Radio Network and hosting the postgame show. I remember that, that, that I tried to go to great lengths to not compare him to Peyton Manning because I thought it was so ridiculously unfair having to be the rookie that followed up Peyton Manning. Well, Andrew did a pretty damn good job of not having to worry about those comparisons. Now, didn't he? Um, And so now we get to Anthony Richardson 11 years later. And again, one of the reasons why you could compare, I thought, luck to Manning was not just being a generational talent, was not just being a, you know, a, 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 a sure doubt, no doubt about it, bona fide number one pick in the draft but also because the level of experience he had as a college football player. That was very similar to the experience that Peyton had. You were Peyton, because of injury, became the starter on day one. Luck was close. Or not day one, but like a month into his freshman year. He was a a three-and-a-half-year starter. Andrew Luck was kind of the same at Stanford. You know, both guys could have turned down going a year earlier and came back. So it was somewhat apples-to-apples, if not in athleticism, if not in style of play, experience coming in. And obviously... That is not the case for Anthony Richardson. But yet, that is likely the prism that Colts fans are going to have because, again, we've been so ridiculously spoiled in what we got from the last two quarterbacks that were taken in the first round. Just some numbers throw out there. Even if I think it would be a gargantuan ask for Anthony Richardson to hit those numbers in his rookie campaign. Uh, A couple of things I want to get to, but uh, we have some more finely crafted commercial messages, not to mention a very knowledgeable guest, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files, all things Pacers. We'll mix in some general NBA Finals conversation as well. It comes your way next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Thanks, Jimmy Cook, on the ones and twos. I did not have a chance to get to trivia time with Jimmy. Maybe we will double down on the play of the day for James in the last segment of the show with a little more trivia for one Mr. Cook, because I got a couple of good friends and good guests coming up this segment and next. Let's get right to it. It's Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files. Um, Scott, you went way, way past fingers and toes to count NBA draft workouts for the Pacers. What is the running tote board up to now after today? Yeah, so another group of six, which is the traditional number, and we're at 60 players over 14 workouts that we know of with at least three more on the docket. 
All right, I was going to say, at least three more and, and potentially more. Um, I, why so many? I, I, I realize they have five picks. Five out of 58. I get that. Why so many this time through? Yeah, I thought this was an important thing that I wanted to cover on, on FieldhouseFiles.com yesterday. I think, number one, yes, five picks. Um, the other big thing in all this is you're just capturing more data points. For for this draft, for summer league, for camp, when you can now, starting this upcoming season, have one more player up to 21 that you bring to camp. And then down the road, say, say a player just didn't pan out with a team, you have a long laundry list of info and intel and a binder full of info on a guy that maybe you give him a chance. And the Pacers really like to find those guys that are misused or under underutilized in a situation and bring them this way. Um, and then you also have a G League team to fill out. So you had Pacers, or excuse me, Matt Ant's general manager, assistant general manager, several coaches all in during these workouts um, trying to cover it in its entirety so there's a lot going on the number one thing is being the five picks but there's there's several other issues at hand all right so um i think most are in agreement the pacers aren't going to make five selections in this year's draft they're going to package some of those picks um whether that's trading for future years maybe trading one or two of those back-end picks for maybe a more veteran player we've seen those that that happened before uh when the pacers were in more of a win now mode thad young karis lavert kind of immediately come to mind do you see them doing something with the number seven pick right now Greg, i do not i, I think they're very comfortable with a handful of guys that will uh, among them will be there uh, right there in that pack, anywhere, anyone from uh, the Cam Whitmore's to Taylor Hendricks to Jarris Walker uh, to the Thompson Twins, I think there's there's going to be good value at that pick, whomever is available. That there's just not enough. What you're trying to decide here, if you're Kevin Pritchard, right, is is the what you're giving up or whatever it would take to give up to move up to really two. I think it would be if you move up to two to get Brandon Miller. Is that worth all the different things you have to give up? And I'm just not certain that that's the case right now. They do have additional picks. They do have a couple players um, that that you could expend and send elsewhere. Um, I, I also could wouldn't be surprised if you know maybe they acquire a wing leading up to the draft, and in doing so, what if you give up your first round pick next year or uh, a good pick that you have on your arsenal because next year. The, the consensus is it's not an, a very good draft. So maybe you keep two of your first-round picks this year, don't want one next year because you already have been six first-round picks over three years. At some point, you get, you got to narrow it down, add some veterans, and then go forward. So right now, I think seven is where they'll stay. The name that I, I continue to see more than any other associated with the Pacers is Jairus Walker. And I mm-hmm. realize you're an NBA expert, not a college basketball expert, but he is one of the many – cavalcade of stars that has been in here quick impressions on him when you saw him talk to him etc yeah so he was one of the four players that have been through solo workouts taylor Hendricks was earlier in the day last week so that was really interesting i think too from the front office perspective rake and the fact that they could see these two guys very much uh, one of them should be available and these could be the two they're deciding upon work out within an hour or two of each other. Hendricks, a better shooter with Walker, who is currently my favorite at seven, uh, is a bigger body, a little bit thicker, an outstanding rebounder, decent shooter, versatile defender, um, and, and 
among the characteristics that we know this Pacers team needs to improve upon, it starts with defense and goes to rebounding. And so Walker absolutely fits that bill. Uh, he played in an NBA pro-style system with Kelvin Sampson down in Houston where he was not the first option. So, you know, he was like really like the third guy, which also demonstrates – um, you know, how he plays within a system and does his role, does the dirty work, uh, really good shot blocker as well. So he would fit the bill of what the Pacers really need, Rake, at that four spot. Again, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files, our guest, Greg Rakestraw, here on the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Something that, that, again, because we have been so focused as part of this building process, is on the number seven pick, on the overall number of draft picks, one thing that I've pointed out the last couple times I've been on, hey, uh, not only do the Pacers have room under the salary cap, they actually have a little, you know, a little room where they have to get to the salary floor. They are underneath that as of now. It's not a great free agent class. There's a player or two that can help you. How active on that front is Kevin Pritchard going to be? Yeah, and the one thing I do also want to highlight with that, and with the new CBA, one notable change is that you have to be above the salary floor before the season. Normally you could wait all the way till the end of this year. You could for this season, you could still be under right now and make a deal or two before the end of June to go above that salary floor. Now if you don't, the penalty is you play the, you pay the players on your current team. So it's not a huge thing, but there's no reason why you shouldn't. But to the bigger point, I think it's more likely that the Pacers um get involved like we were discussing with a trade to acquire more of a, a ready-made player just because you look at the free agents out there and there's not too many names that are that excitable, whereas because of you have that cap space, the other thing the Pacers have to their arsenal is they could take on – they could one more time, I think, before you really make a push – towards being a contender, take on a bad contract or a guy that's getting overpaid slightly and use that to your advantage. A guy like Tobias Harris comes to mind in Philadelphia where I can't imagine the 76ers want to keep paying his $30-plus million salary. See what Harris looks in a new system, things get interesting. But in terms of free agency, you can't really assess too much right now, Rick, because the Pacers don't have many roster spots. They have three free roster spots going into a draft where they have five. So they're going to have to clearly move bodies or um, work things around, maybe target a player or two. But right now, I'm not expecting a very busy free agency. Uh, I looked at, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, if, I remember that the, the Karis LeVert trade for Thad Young was based on the number 20 pick, if I, if I remember right, Some, somewhere around there. So if the mm-hmm. Pacers have 26, 29, and 32 – realistically what would you get back for something like that or for 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 parts of that if you wanted to move off and saying hey listen we've already got 12 13 guys that are contract most of them are young guys we simply don't have room to fit everybody in if you're trying to move those level of picks what realistically would you get back for something like that yeah i i think one thing you could look at is what what denver got involved with and that's that was pushing it down the line in terms of uh, getting a, a couple seconds and a future first for trading uh, trading away a, few, a first this year. Um, the, the other thing in all this that comes to mind too is what what I could see more likely than anything Rake here is you try to get involved with one of those wings. Um, you try to get Bridges. You try to get OG. You're trying even if they're not willing. Um, on the other side to partake in that, but maybe you give two or three of these picks up, 
plus a player or two on your roster, and maybe that would be enough to sweeten the pot for one of these elite wings for the teams to move on from them. And and by the way, Cam Johnson, that'd be another uh, guy that I know is going to be in free agency that a lot of different teams are, are after. But realistically, I think if you don't complete a, a bigger deal, which I think would be their goal here to acquire a ready-made player, I think more likely than not, maybe uh, you would trade this for a future first. Maybe you get a future second as well for a team to be able to draft now rather than having to wait. Because a team like Denver, they want to advance their timeline and maximize it now rather than you know worrying about a a pick in six years from now if there was a pacers player that you would recommend hey i wouldn't invest in long-term real estate around indianapolis in other words if you're going to move if you're going to have to move a piece to get something back who's the guy that's probably have the moving vans ready (laughs) uh i think one of jalen smith or isaiah jackson do we really need to go through that experiment uh next year uh, as well, or you could also probably throw Daniel Tice in that mix. I'd be stunned, Greg, if all three of those guys are on the Pacers roster to start the season because you already have Miles. There's four bigs. You really like to remove one of those guys at least from the equation and, and get a player that's a little bit more versatile out on the wing, can defend, um, and, and it cleans up a little bit what you're doing in the front court. And then in the back court, I know teams constantly monitoring Chris Duarte and his status. By the way, it's his 26th birthday today. He's a guy that really Pacers had high hopes for, but just couldn't overcome an injury bug last year. His rookie year, two years ago, defended well, in addition to shooting well, while he was getting a lot of starter minutes. So, um, really, I would say one of the bigs, and maybe it's Duarte in the backcourt that is expendable. Not that they're... uh, that they would have to be willing to part with if they're looking to make one of those bigger moves that I was referencing. You think a veteran trade happens before the draft, Scott? I, I would hope so, yeah. And, and by the way, I'm meaning like a day before the sure. 24 hours leading up to the draft because a team that's acquiring these picks would want to know and have a good idea of what players they can get in that slot by making this deal. And if they're not giving up the seven, if it's the 26 and 29, you kind of already know those aren't normally the picks that you need to acquire right before the, or excuse me, right during the draft, right ahead of time, like you do maybe the pick two or three based on who went just above them. Again, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files, our guest, Greg Rakestra with you, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. So that's the Pacers perspective. Let's do like everybody else was doing last night talking ball um your thoughts on the Denver Nuggets now being crowned NBA champions yeah first of all I love the fact that this is one of those traditional teams going back to the ADA and the ABA and they finally broke through um it's so much fun to see a team celebrate it for the first time um and I think it was the fifth straight year where the NBA had a different champion so you, you do have a lot of parity right there. Uh, and, of course, I think four of the last five have lost their jobs talking about HUD coaches. So perhaps that's the other takeaway in all this is, is front offices, as much as you can with ownership, need to be patient, need to invest in the draft like we have just talked for the last 10 minutes here. And you saw the fruits of the labor of not only the Nuggets being decisive in their decisions, taking some risks, right? Jokic in the in the second round, and Michael Porter Jr. had a laundry list of health issues at Mizzou, came out, his back still bothered him. I think he had like three surgeries here in his short time, and, and he came up big for them last year. And then to put them over the top, what did they go do? They went and got kind of that wing or power forward yeah. in Aaron Gordon in Orlando. So I see that exactly kind of the, the route the Pacers are looking to take. They they brought in a veteran, well-respected coach that was kind of 
not in a good situation maybe with their previous team. I still don't get why Sacramento moved on from Michael Malone. They drafted well, added the veteran, and then just stayed with it for several years. So that that's what I really like. Anybody in the NBA play the play the game the way Nikola Jokic does? And generally when you're named the MVP, the answer is no. But but he is so unique in the skill set that he has, in, in in the package that it's all bundled up in. Anyone close to play the game the way he does? No, I can't. I mean, there, there's certain elements of it, certainly, right? Like a big that can pass that well or close could be Devonis Sabonis, for example. Um, Anthony Davis brings the ball up occasionally, just like, uh, and so does Joel Embiid. But no, th- this is uh, truly a unique animal out there and the fact that i think more than anything the fact that he just doesn't look in shape doesn't look like he also though gets tired despite his body build that might be the most fascinating thing but i think his basketball iq stands out to me number one his patience and understanding of the game and then also just how i think he has he offers great perspective like we're so many of these players maybe get caught up in social media or the, the debate shows Jokic truly does not care he did not care for his MVP trophy. He wanted to. He wanted to win it. He wanted to win it all for his team, and he wanted to do it for his teammates and for his coaches. But then he was like, "All right, job's done. I want to get back home and just be with my family." And I think that is so rare. More, perhaps, more than anything, Rake we see from him on the floor. All right, finally, before we let you go, uh, Papa Jones was here for seven years. You served a variety of roles, you know, kind of during that time. Uh, but uh, even for a young cat, you're kind of long in the tooth in, in terms of, of those that are, that are covering the team. Yeah. Um, I, you could see, frankly, the tears and, and, and him saying thank you to Nikola Jokic when they hugged at the end of the game. Your thoughts about Popeye Jones now being an NBA champ? Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad you asked. A Murray State product, a guy that you know played in the league for several different teams, and then the Pacers were his second stop, and he kind of – he, he hung around with a, several different head coaching changes here and was well-respected, worked with the big. So you got to imagine how much time and effort he spent in with, and put in with, with Jokic, among others, out there. And I, I think for anyone to win that first title had to be a blast for him. And he was just highly respected. He did his job. Uh, he, he went behind the bench after not being brought back here to Indy, went and did that in Philly and then said, you know what, here's an opportunity, a, a city in which he played. Yep. I think his sons maybe played hockey or one Correct. of them did or yep. came through there quite often. So you had that situation. So that was really cool. I was happy for Popeye. And then also the other Indiana connection, Jared Jeffries, who's a, a scout for them, was able to celebrate in the locker room with the team. See, I just think about Jared as a professional fisherman. I don't even think about his scouting days uh, at, <laughs> at, at, at this point. All right, people should know by now, and obviously some of Scott's works appears on 1075thefan.com, Fieldhouse Files, where should folks go? Yeah, that's exactly it. Fieldhouse Files, where uh, I'm posting daily videos from all these interviews, plus stories with both perspective on the team today and some highlight interviews um, from these workouts like Taylor Hendricks and Jarris Walker. Who is left in the dock? You said there's a few more coming up. Do you know all the three off the top of your head? We do not know. Um, the expectation um, is that the Thompson Twins will come through. Um, so those two, I think we know, or at least one of them. Um, and then the other here that would make a lot of sense would be Grady Dick, a, a player, a wing, versatile guy. Um, but that one is not known for sure just yet either. But we don't have one tomorrow, so a bit of a break. Uh, and then the draft's just a week away, yeah. so we're right in it. It comes quickly, doesn't it? All right, my friend, I appreciate the time and the insight. We'll catch up soon.
All right. Thank you, Rick. Scott Agnes, again, of Fieldhouse Files. Jimmy, there is time for trivia time, so don't have to take away from your shine uh, for the Jay Cook play of the day. Um, you ready? Always. NBA trivia. Uh-oh. Udonis Haslam has made it official. 20 years is enough with the Miami Heat. Last night was his final NBA game. He is walking away. He is one of two players, three actually, there's two others, that have spent at least 20 seasons with the same NBA team. Who are the other two? Kobe. Kobe is one. 20 years on the nose with the Los Angeles Lakers. This player will be in the Hall of Fame as well. Is it post-2000? It is. It is. His career started before 2000. He played after 2000. Tim Duncan. Close. I think Tim would have played like 19, 18 years. I got to see here. Uh, Yeah, Tim Duncan played 19 years. He was one year shy. But you're thinking of the proper era. It's one of these things that once you say it or I tell you, you go, you'll go, duh. Dirk. Dirk Nowitzki. Or as my good buddy Joseph Price would say, Dirk Nowinski, <laughs> since he played with Dirk in Germany before he came to the States. Dirk played 21 years with the Dallas Mavericks. Only one player played in more NBA seasons, albeit for different teams. So can you name the one player that played in the NBA for 22 years? Does While he never played for the Pacers, does have a cool stat that you can share that is Pacers-related. Pippen? Not Scottie Pippen. No. More recent vintage. Played his last game and basically knowing his team I don't think was going to make the playoffs, basically played his last game like the night before the pandemic broke knowing, hey, this is it for me. This guy played for eight different teams. But it's probably associated particularly with two. I don't have it. Vince Carter. Mm. And the importance of Vince Carter to Indianapolis is he was the last NBA player to play in the NBA that had played in the game at Market Square Arena. Because his rookie season was the last year at MSA was 98-99. So hanging them up is Udonis Haslam. Back to Popeye Jones. 25 years in the NBA. 13 as a coach. 12 as a player. And I remember, and, and and much as Scott touched on this, because this is of my generation, junior high, high school, where I'm following all things college basketball, he was a great player at Murray State. And I remember Murray playing at UofL, as, and he's a freshman. And Popeye was going about 350 in those days. He has always kind of had to watch his weight a little bit. And I think it was between his freshman and his sophomore year, between his sophomore and his junior year, he lost a bunch of weight. And like the Louisville Courier Journal, like like published, like did a story on him and published his diet. Like this is how Popeye went from this to this, and he offered this piece of life advice that has stuck me to this day: Don't order your own French fries; just borrow a few from somebody else that's there. Diet and life advice from Popeye Jones, who is now an NBA champion. We'll take this quick time out when we come back. We'll look to the southeast down I seventy four. 
with a voice that you know very well from this radio station and from Wish TV, Charlie Clifford. Yeah, I felt we were worthy of a Cincinnati segment of the program because the Reds are all of a sudden interesting. The soccer team is damn good. And oh, by the way, uh, their football team uh, also seems to be pretty doggone good these days. One Charles Clifford, now WLWT, joins us next. It's the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Many thanks to Will Haskett, my chapel, Scott Agnes, for being on the program. Of course, Jimmy Cook on the ones and twos. You know, sometimes we in the radio business go, you know, there's this great story, this great team. Let's get someone from the local market that can talk to it. And so, you know, sometimes you're meeting new people on the air just like that. So I've not heard of this guy. His name is Charles Clifford. He apparently is new at Channel 5 in Cincinnati. Uh, Charles, my name is Greg Rakestraw. How are you, sir? <laughs> Rake, that was – I knew something was coming. And that, <laughs> that, that certainly uh, – that, that eclipsed what I, so, I, I expected. How are you doing, man? I'm good, brother. Uh, I, I, is it a steady diet of Skyline, UDF, Montgomery Inn? You, you're working those in on a regular basis down there? Of course. Of course. It's, it's part of the onboarding process. Uh, you know, one per meal skyline, at least three times a week. No, it's been, it's been great. I miss you guys. I miss David Wood, Todd Meyer, Jimmy, Eddie, obviously Kevin, Jake, yourself. It's just such a great crew over there. And, uh, man, I missed May. That was, uh, that was incredible watching Joseph on TV, but we're uh, we're doing great. So thanks for looking me up. First of all, if you eat Skyline three times, you're gonna start looking like me. Nobody wants that. Okay, so so you know, no. once a week it's is per, you, you run those hills, and and, yes. and and you'll be fine on that. From it all in all seriousness, <laughs> you talk about missing May, but that yeah. is something. I mean, let's face it. Okay, our job isn't overly complicated. Um, but 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 there are things that you have to learn on the fly. You know, l- covering the Colts and covering the Bengals are largely interchangeable. Um, but having to follow a major league baseball team nightly, that's not been your bailiwick the last four right. and a half years. Right. Because right. of you working at Wish, you're great about talking to me about the Indy 11 and following the team, but it's a whole different animal when we're talking about major league <laughs> soccer and that, and that beautiful stadium at TQL Stadium downtown. So what has the period of adjustment been like for you, you know, kind of picking things up maybe you haven't done before or things that haven't been on your radar as much over the last few years? No, you nailed it with the soccer and baseball. It just does feel new because of that. We just wrapped up first day of Bengals minicamp. And yes, the faces are new, but you kind of understand how things work this time of the year in the NFL. Whereas baseball, it's just, it's different. I had never been on a major league beat here and what a time to show up with, I'm sure, as you've mentioned over the past couple of weeks on the fan. I mean, Reds fans are back on board. This city is baseball crazy right now and it's crazy to say this but soccer is trumping everything this summer with this unbeaten home streak you mentioned the stadium they're selling out every league match 
it's it's literally you know as close as you can get. I didn't really watch a ton of Lasso. It's on the list, but from what I've been told, hey, worst to first in two years. This is this is pretty close to the storyline, and so selfishly, it's just been a great time to show up. Everyone's been so welcoming. This is a really good shop, and um, you know it, it's nice to show up outside of football season too. Because once the fall hits, it'll be it'll be all hands on deck. Well, obviously, you and Olivia both been picked up by by Channel Five. <laughs> Are you sending Ken Brew back this way? How, wh- yeah. wh- what's the piece coming back to Indianapolis in exchange no, for I, you know I two young up and comers? We're working on that, but obviously, you know, Miss AC Ross, Jason, Brian. Uh, uh, Angela, the entire Wish crew. I mean, we just had so much fun, and I do need a new soccer expert, though, Ray, because you can you can tell everybody how many times I called you out of the blue, Ray. What make sense of this for me on the drop of a hat? And you, you know, you're quicker than Google, as I like to tell people. And uh, I'll always appreciate that, man. Well, first of all, thank you. The rake straw equivalent out here. No, for, I'll give you Roman Celentalo's number. He's much better at it than I am. Um, and for those that don't know, uh, you people know exactly what I'm really talking good. about. That's the starting yeah. keeper, uh, by the way, for FC Cincinnati, for those that are, that are not in the know. Um, <laughs> but the other thing is, you're reaching like an Eddie White level of name drop uh, on the interview, making sure you're thanking everybody uh, over the course of this interview. And, and, well, and, and it's really true. noticeable. Yeah, no, I... I I do miss Indy. I mean, there's no way to get around that. But as it was apparently obvious when this opportunity came about with my wife being from here, her family's here, I mean, it was just such a gift for for us. And we're going to make the most of it. And the good news is we're right down the road and we're going to have the Colts coming here in the fall. And I know there's a ton of buzz around Richardson. I can't wait to see that work out. I I think the Colts are due for one to bounce their way here after – Gosh, it just felt like for the six years I was on the beat there, it was, it was just one. And I don't need to waste your time with this on, on those airwaves, but everyone knows it, it's, it was just a lot of bad luck that went into some things. So I'm, I'm hoping this, this youngster Richardson can, can be the guy. All right, so with that, let's talk about yeah. the Reds first. Um, because yeah. you get there, then it's Matt McClain, then it's Ellie Dela Cruz. <laughs> and, and again, what, what I noticed – Last week, Ellie shows up. Guess what? People start showing up, too. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, it's it's yep. once again cool to go back to Great American <laughs> Ballpark other than opening day. So what has this madness been like over the course of the last 10 days or so? Well, Joe Burrow just took a few minutes you know, during his – the last time we'll hear from him until training camp to signal out De La Cruz and the energy he plays with and the buzz that the Reds are getting. You know, I think he realizes that they're starting to get a little taste of what the Bengals have felt the last two years. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is infectious. As people in Indy know, when things are going in the right way, you know, a lot of teams can, can use that. And it feels like between football, soccer, and baseball right now, I mean, everything's trending in the right direction. On De La Cruz, though, you've seen it. You've seen the highlights really charming, fun guy in person. He's been relaxed. You have to remember he's the youngest of nine from a family in the Dominican Republic. He's still working on his English. Um, He feels comfortable. And I think the locker room with it being such a young team, if you look at this lineup, I mean, no one is on their second contract. No one is an established everyday guy, at least, you know, heading into this year. It's such a scrappy group that's playing with their heart on their sleeves every night. And I know that's cliche, but 
that's what's winning this team ball games right now. You saw it again last night in Kansas City. The base paths have been just a complete difference maker. And De La Cruz, of all his tools, I mean, just bringing speed back to baseball, that's what that's what Rob Manford wants. That's this. He is a perfect star right now to show up, and it's a perfect market to do it because since he's been – been thirsty for some baseball, you know, positive news here. And, and they just got it. And there's more to come. There's a couple more kids that are going to come up this year. And there's no reason this team can't win, can't win the NL Central. There's just nothing on paper that says that's going to be impossible. I'll, I'll make the Pacers slash Reds comparison. But let me say, frankly, the Pacers have had greater success more recently than the Reds have. But I do right. think there is a comparison. You know, when Pacers fans, and the expectations are down, if the team plays hard and does better than expected, man, fans are happy. And that's yep. kind of exactly where the Reds are right now, don't you think? I think you're a thousand percent on the on the money there. You know, look, Indy, it was a hoops town before it was a football town. Cincy, big red machine were cooking long before the Bengals were making headlines and things have reversed, granted nationally. That's just how the world works now with the NFL's supreme reign on on all of us. But you're totally right. I love those two comparisons. And, you know, when expectations are low, as a fan, you really can't get hurt. You know, those heartbreaking losses aren't going uh, to be as sharp, at least early in the year. I do think if, if they get in contention late, uh, obviously that's just different when you're losing tough games in September and into October, hopefully. But, yeah, just – just a great young crew, and David Bell deserves some credit. I mean, he's he's been under heat. You know, he didn't have much to work with, and now he's getting some pieces, and they're playing well. So, huge credit to him. I don't think he's gotten enough credit yet. Again, Charlie Clifford, formerly of Wish TV in this radio station. These days, WLWT, NBC5 in Cincinnati. Joining us here, Greg Rakestraw, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Have you had a chance to catch up with Roman Celentano and or Ray Gaddis, the two local ties to FC Cincinnati just yet? Not one-on-one. We've talked, you know, we normally get a player or two for each training session. We've gotten comment from Celentano. I think he's up to, what, eight clean sheets now. So he is very popular. Obviously, they're forwards they have here. They've turned in some of the more ridiculous goals you're going to see anywhere in soccer this year just over the past week. I think they've landed in SportsCenter's top couple plays twice now. Um, but Pat Noonan, the, the coach, really good guy and really fun. Um, his kids are around at practice. It's a very family-friendly organization. And, it's you know, as people have told me here, hey, two years ago you could buy a seat in the last row and sneak down to the first row and no one would really care. And now it's it's just hard to get in there, which is, uh, you know, it's it's new for this town too. And I hope – with the 11 stadium plans coming along that Indy's not far behind. For those that don't follow Major League Soccer, and even I, there are some guys who are talking about MLS that go, oh yeah, i got to remember about this guy. Um, (laughs) But but once you kind of get to that national team level, even the casual fan tends to have a better idea of who you are. So I led with starting goalkeeper, IU. Backline veteran, Ray Gaddis. He played his soccer at North Central and grew up playing at Tab uh, right. you know, at 34th right. and Central. But a guy that didn't have a local tie, but is probably a name that a lot of people are talking about on a regular basis, is Brandon Vasquez. What's yeah. it been like watching him ply his craft? 
He's good. I think that, you know, look, people have been a little hot and cold on him of late, but yesterday he just got called up to the Gold Cup team. It looks like he's going to miss a couple matches later in the summer. I think he plays with incredible, you know, spirit every night. You can tell you don't you don't run off 40 points in Major League Soccer through 17 matches without having everyone with their their pedal to the metal. So now the question is they're finally getting a little break. Can you can you avoid that? Oh, we peaked too early. You know, we played all these extra Open Cup matches. Will that creep in and, and slow this team down? They just made a big signing with Aaron Bapenza. He's going to come over in early July to help the the offense here in the second half of the season. So, I don't know, Rake. You're the expert. You tell me who's standing in Cincinnati's way that this lead in the East is, you know, significant this early in the season. You're in good shape. Uh, you know, don't worry about it because your early concern is, is, <laughs> is making the playoffs. The supporter shield is nice. You want to make sure you're playing good soccer by the time you, you get to October, and obviously things can change. Um, but but since we're talking about upcoming schedules, yeah. um, it is looking like Lionel Messi, if it's mm. not an August 20th debut for Inter-Miami, which would be at home, which you would think that's likely where he starts, Right. the next time he could be in a lineup would be the Open Cup at <laughs> TQL Stadium. Um, have you started to wrap your head around Messi mania coming uh, to the Queen City? No, we're going to stack it up against Taylor Swift mania because that's at the end of the month, and the Reds just announced today they're changing the start time of their game that night <laughs> to deal with quote uh, you know transportation and logistical issues right. that are going to arrive with Swift. So one thing at a time: first Swift, then Messi, uh, then. You know, some of these premier home games with, with Buffalo coming back on a Sunday night football game uh, in early in the season. But, no, you're right. That will be a, a international ticket market. We're trying to get that across. The team has not yet released exactly how those tickets are going to be dispersed. Sounds like season ticket holders will have a shot to claim theirs. But, that that will be unprecedented in terms of I mean if it's his first road game in the states yeah uh, with this cup you know semifinal on the line that's going to be a crazy ticket and just a really fun week for what it's worth and again your focus is on Cincinnati not Miami uh, Miami has four matches slated in August against there's the League's Cup event between them and Liga Emekis so Lord knows how long that's going to go on <laughs> Miami's got four matches in ten days okay. The second one yep. is Cincinnati. Just, just for those of you in the ticket market, Jimmy Cook, just filing that away uh, that, that is on that front. Final thing, I'll bring it back to the conversation you were just a part of with yeah. Joe Burrow. Because um, mm-hmm. literally, as we're as you and I are chatting, I, I see kind of a tweet fly by from Pro Football Talk. Joe Burrow not discussing contract just yet. Yeah. What sort of money is Joe Burrow looking at on his next deal? Well, he's hinted that, look, T. Higgins is up. Jamar Chase is up. These three have all been on the same page. We don't want to go anywhere. We don't want to break this up. We think there's a way where, and it begins with how Joe is structured this summer. I, 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 to your point, it's it's everything starts now with the guaranteed money, right? So he'll be up there with Hertz. Uh, I I don't have a specific number in mind, but. All I know is from everything I've heard in the early going from his teammates and just being around him in person, 
this is not a mirage. This young, developing star quarterback is about winning. And I think that he could take a, a slight page out of Tom Brady's playbook and and make sure that the weapons that make this team you know, elite in the AFC don't have to go looking elsewhere to, you know, to, to make that decision for their family. I, I would be optimistic if I'm a Bengals fan that they're going to be able to keep those three guys together. And um, I know in Indy, shoot, they made the right decisions with Marvin and, and Reggie, and you saw what happened there. So I, I think there's a pretty – Pretty easy blueprint not far down the road from the Queen City to look back, you know, a decade and a half ago and, and realize, okay, let's let, let's not shoot ourselves in the foot here. Let's let's find a way to figure that out. And and so there, there's a long-winded answer, but he has been very closed off. He does not want to talk about developments, you know, what he wants in there um, behind closed doors. And I think you know you can respect that. Uh, he's earned that right, certainly. All right, I, I can get Skyline and, and graders here. Um, so if <laughs> yes, you can I send know, some right. LaRosa's, some UDF, some Montgomery in, and probably some Willie Sports Bar this direction, maybe a case of Huda Pole Delight might be the way to go. Um, <laughs> if I needed to send stuff back down I-74 in trade, what do I need to send from Marion, Canada, to make you feel more like your second stomping grounds in Indianapolis? This is very simple. As many... And I mean, as many Keystone Sports Review hot wings that you can fit in one container. That would be that would be beyond appreciated. And I'll airdrop that. Your order down at the circle it should be there uh, by the time it shows up. Now, just so you know, KSR is temporarily <laughs> closed because they're moving locations. You're so, kidding. So me. You, it's okay. They're going to reopen. I think later this month or in some point in time in July. Because they are moving to the old Birdies location at 71st and Keystone. So you're not the only person Jones for the KSR wings. But well, I'm, they, I'm calling Schultz. He's got a, all hands on deck here. A month a month of no KSR, that's that's four weeks too long. I'm going to have to get Schultz. I've noticed, this, uh, I've noticed the beard is not growing back as quickly for Schultz as he would like it. That's probably <laughs> the reason why uh, is the lack of, of, of wing, uh, wing travel, so to speak. My friend, it's good to catch up with you. I'm, I'm happy things are going so well for you in Cincinnati. Don't be a stranger, all right? I know you got a break, Rake. I, I really appreciate everything you did for me, all the knowledge and easy, quick tidbits. I'll, I'll never forget that. So, miss you guys and have a great rest of the week, right? You got it, brother. Charlie Clifford joining us again these days of WLWT. He delivered your array both. Uh, so, there's always been a, a big indie Cincy connection. Anne-Marie Tiernan used to be on Channel 5 in Cincinnati. Dan Spieler was on Channel 12 in Cincinnati for, for a long time. So, there's been a movement. There's always been a lot of back and forth between the two markets because we're just so darn, darn close to each other. And my wife happens to be from Cincinnati. So, I, and I lived in Harrison for a year and a half. I know it well. And I think I'm going to be back down there for an event in about a month. There might be an unscheduled pop-in on one Charles Clifford uh, next time I am down that way. We'll take this quick time out. Jimmy's going to make you some money. And we'll close up shop on this Tuesday afternoon. Greg Rakestraw, hosting the Fan Midday Show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 
So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We'll ask it back in this chair with Jimmy Cook tomorrow. Brian No will be here on Thursday and Friday. I am back next Tuesday, so plan something else to do accordingly between noon and three. Occupy your time with anything else other than me. Hanging out here with Jimmy Cook between noon and three next Tuesday. James, let's make some folks some money, shall we? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day all focused on baseball. First, we'll go with our money line selections. Going to take the Toronto Blue Jays toward the money line over the Baltimore Orioles. Also going to take the Boston Red Sox on the money line as they host the Colorado Rockies. New York Yankees take the first game of the Subway Series against the New York Mets. And I'm not too late to the party, am I? Give me the red legs against the Kansas City Royals tonight. That includes the money line portions of our selections. We're also going to lay one and a half on the run line for the Tampa Bay Rays as they take on the Oakland Athletics. Two and four yesterday, two and four on the week. That's what we're rolling with today on the fan. We welcome you back onto the bandwagon as far as the Reds are concerned, Jimmy. Um, because sadly, I would be a bandwagon fan at this point. Admittedly, I I, I have I had kind of said, okay, I'll come back when you're starting to win. Well, the Reds are 32 and 35. The Reds are three and a half games out of the NL Central. It's gotten to a point where Ken Rosenthal is hopping on podcast saying, hey, maybe it's time for some trades to be made. You only get an opportunity to win every so often. Take advantage of the opportunity. When when, when Charlie said that, it's kind of like they're not winning the division. I literally typed up the standings, and I'm like, holy. They might just win the division. Um, you know, I I think most of us that live here love living here. By here, I mean Indianapolis. But here in this case, can also mean the Midwest. Some might refer to as flyover country. But if you're a fan of Major League Baseball, then perhaps right now the Midwest, well, it's like Green Acres. It's the place to be. Because the Minnesota Twins are atop the AL Central. At 33 and 33. Now, the Royals are god-awful, and that's very good to know knowing they're playing the Reds for the next couple of games. The Tigers, not good. They're 10 games under 500. I know the White Sox have been bad all year long. They're nine games under 500. They're four and a half back of first place. Well, in the NL Central, the Pittsburgh Pirates apparently only give what Andrew McCutcheon plays for the team because he's back. They're 34 and 30. They're a game clear of the Brewers, and the Brewers are the team that you know you kind of think of this group will probably break free at some point in time and win the NL Central. And I'm not sure if Reds fans, because I know how we're wired, I'm not sure if we're happier that the team is actually doing well or that the Cardinals flat out stink. It's a two for one. I mean, it, it it's the circle that overlaps in the middle of the diagram. You know, you, we could enjoy both of these things. But the fact that the Cardinals and their best fans in baseball are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games and 13 games under 500, it, you hate to see it. It's just a shame. Proud of you. By the way, um, do we get in trouble if I flip off that camera? Does that, like, I, like, like swearing on the air, that's a no-no. But can I get away with a, with a sight gag? towards the Cardinals, is is that okay or is that discouraged? I don't think the FCC monitors the YouTube chat. But you get, you but get also the, uh, note that you I don't get care the around here. about how I feel about the Cardinals. <laughs> 
as a Reds fan, again, I want to see my team do well. Seeing the Cardinals lose, well, frankly, that's largely replaced that feeling over the course of the years. Um, you mentioned, I believe, maybe maybe it was the promo. Did you include the Vegas Golden Knights and the Rat Pack, the Florida Panthers, in your play? I did not. That was the promo. That's okay. It was a promo. Well, we are your home for the Stanley Cup Finals um, on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan, which I get the feeling... Uh, large public companies, much like we all kind of thought, hey, Game Five's probably it for the NBA Finals. Probably have the same idea for the NHL Stanley Cup Final. I know some of you get a little anal about that. You pluralize NBA, you don't for the National Hockey League. But you can't hear Game 8 tonight here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan Vegas goes home with a three games to one lead. Probably comes to an end there. And that would also mean that Bruce Cassidy, formerly of the Indianapolis Ice, could be a Stanley Cup winning head coach. It was also uh, I, I I caught this kind of watching it go by a ticker yesterday that one of his teammates with the Indianapolis Ice in the mid nineties just got named an NHL head coach as well. Ryan Huska, the new head coach of the um, Calgary Flames, he and Bruce were teammates in ninety five and ninety six, and briefly in ninety six and ninety seven. It was a kind of a cool walk down memory lane for me, looking at some of those old names he used to play at MSA some nearly some 30 years ago. So wouldn't be the first kind of tie from the Indianapolis Ice to playing in the National Hockey League, obviously, coaching in the National Hockey League, but there are two now currently coaching in the NHL um, from that from the IHL days of the Indianapolis Ice, and one of them is a game away from winning the Stanley Cup which you can hear tonight on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jimmy, thank you very much. Thank you to Will Haskett. Again, he's in tomorrow. Thanks to Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59. Colts camp continues Wednesday and Thursday. Then they are done until training camp at the end of July. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files. Of course, the draft comes up in nine days. And Charlie Clifford, he now of the land of Skyline. JMB is up next. I'll be on his show tomorrow. Talk to you then.